And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good evening, Dungeoneers. Uh, you are listening to what might be a very special episode of This Old Dungeon, <laughs> or might be a rather normal one. We don't know yet. Our, our guest uh, on the show today is uh, MIA. Hopefully they'll pop in here, but until then, we're going to chat it up and uh, keep you company. This is Lou Alu. I'm joined today by my co-hosts. Hey, this is Edwin. Welcome, everybody. Hey, guys, it's Bill. All right. We'll just start with some general gaming talk. Um, anybody been rolling some bones lately? You know it. <laughs> anybody else? Yes. <laughs> Every Sunday. I did. I did. Yeah. What'd you play? What'd you play? What'd you play? Okay, I played. Uh, well, I went to uh, Chaosium Con. Uh, oh, nice, nice. How was it? Back. So it was great. It's local for us. It's literally 40, 35 minutes down the road. So Jealous. I got to play Jealous. some Call of Cthulhu, obviously, nice. at Chaosium Con, because it was all Chaosium stuff. But we had a pace at our booth there. So we were kind of, uh, um, it was fun. You know, we don't, although we don't have any uh, Chaosium RPG stuff, we don't have any, you know, we don't produce for that them yet. We're working on something with them. Nice. But uh, uh, so, but they're local. We've known Rick Mites, the CEO of, of Chaosium, for a very, very long time. He used to help out with MDG conventions back in the day. He was like helping auctions and stuff like that. I, I didn't interpersonal him that much back then, but we say hi at conventions and we sat down at game hall and talked quite a bit. And, you know, he said he wanted to have some vendors this year. And I said, well, you know, we, uh, this is the second year of Chaosium Con. Anyway, for those who, who don't know, it's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So it gives you the idea. Um, and we said, we'd love to, but we don't really do anything for you guys. So, but he, and he said, no, I don't want to put any pressure. You know, he said, yeah, I, I just wanted to offer. I said, you know, I said, if, if you, if you don't get enough people and you, you know, if there's space available, we'll come because we already know a bunch of our crowds going to be there anyway. Um, we just know that um, uh, from other conventions. So we're like, you know, what, what can, you know, if anything, it'll be fun. And it, yeah. it actually worked out both ways. We, we got to learn a, a lot about cast and stuff, which I'm not, I've played Call of Cthulhu back in the day, but you know, uh, not that I'm, much. So I, I got playing to play a little lot bit of Call of Cthulhu, but I'm super curious about all their other games. So, well, they have a lot, you know. Um, I know historically, especially. So, yeah. so RuneQuest is obviously another one of their large games, right? Yeah. Um, and then I, I'm gonna feel stupid because I'm not gonna remember the names all. Well. They have a, a pirate-based game, and I cannot remember. Seven C, Seven Cs. Yeah. Yes, that seemed to be very popular. There, people had giant dioramas and pirate ship things and um that was really cool um so sandy peterson was there and people were playing um his big board Cthulhu oh yeah game. yeah i, fl I played yep. yeah yeah yep yeah so that was cool that was being played i, I can't tell you like i don't know because this is uh the uh it was at a marriott uh convention center and it's very large and very spread out and cassium con is still fairly small i think i think attendees was probably in in upper 500 range somewhere this year awesome. 550 yeah so but most of the games were played on the second floor of the convention center and we're on the first which is where i was most times so there were games in the hallways and stuff so but it was again it's a very large convention center and it was uh as far as i know spread out a little bit so That's which nice. was nice for space but yeah. i didn't get to see as much as i probably wanted to i was pretty busy and socializing and doing the vending thing and all that so but I know those for or, sure. Or was it just you or did Ben go with you? Ben with Ben was there also. Yeah. And then, you know, Alyssa Faden was there, which was nice. Skeeter Green came uh 
some names that I can throw out there. And then a bunch of guys from Texas uh, that usually go to NTX came up. Um, so yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, and I'm probably forgetting people too that off the top of my head um, uh, that I can't remember, but uh, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. The auction was great. Awesome. They had a nice Chaosium auction, which all Chaosium uh, product. product. So, and a lot of old, old Chaosium product. I mean, they've been around right for a long, long time. So that was really cool. And, educational for me because again i don't i'm not that heavy into that but uh uh that was fun that was a fun time and, and some stuff went for a you know a lot of money so <laughs> we should that, uh that just because cool. i feel like none of us have ever done it we should read and talk about like a runequest adventure or something at some point i think that'd be pretty fun yeah. it'd be pretty fun and uh, i picked up a couple of runequest things when i was there it's just some older stuff at the auction um and I think I, I remember playing, I think we played once and this would have been <laughs> like 1980 something. Okay. I don't remember. And I was flipping through the adventure books. I bought two of them and it was literally like looking at Latin to me. It really is so much different <laughs> than, than a lot of other RPGs. I'm like, man, I, I really need to re-familiarize myself. I have, I think a second edition box or something. So I'm going to, I'm going to go through the rules, but uh, oh. just, Cause I want to, so that would, that would be fun. I think that would be interesting. It's, it's got a big following. They put a lot of stuff out for RuneQuest. A lot. Yeah. So. What, what do you think has a deeper world empire, the pedal throne or Glorantha? I think Glorantha, yeah, I, I, I think hands so. down. I mean, they, like I said, just seeing the stuff that they have currently available for it was insane, let alone the old stuff they've got. So, and then Avalon Hill put out stuff for, really? for RuneQuest. Oh. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the history there. I, I think, I think they actually bought the rights for it. I, I and then it went back. I, I don't know. I'm probably wrong. Someone's got send us an email next month on. I hope so. I'm screwed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I know Avalon Hill put out products for, uh, for RuneQuest. That's actually pretty cool. And Lou, you've been gaming too. Yeah, we we have our son Sunday game. Um, are you guys familiar with the uh, internet comic uh, Garfield minus Garfield? Yes. Where, where they, yes. they take a Garfield they just take out the Garfield out, out of the, the yeah, 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 yeah. It's yep. hilarious because John looks like he's just freaking nuts, you know, yep, yep. talking to himself. And <laughs> anyhow, so this is this is turning into the uh, the Ravenloft minus the Ravenloft. Oh. <laughs> like, we are in, 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 my my friend is running it. He's an awesome guy. He's an awesome GM. Um, he's doing what he can for us but our problem is that like we keep getting ourselves beat up here and there and we keep you know like we always end up in a situation where we're not quite ready to fight the vampire so he gives us a little quest to take us this way or that way and uh so uh we we took all our weapons to get them silvered so we could fight these uh, werewolves so that we could get kind of to the right level to try to you know siege the castle and um so now we're, we're sitting around a town with no major weapons left, right? All, all our good stuff's being silvered. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he gives us his adventure. And it's, it's, I don't know. I don't think it's part of the actual Curse of Strahd. I think it's a supplementary piece, maybe the Grimm and Beatles or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But so we had to go to this, um, this lady's manor. And it's kind of one of these like time-wretched things. And uh, we're trying to get food for this village that's starving that blames us for them starving because we didn't protect the sheep and it's a long story but anyhow point <laughs> is we're not at Ravenloft yet still hacking through so. yeah that's a 
you're playing the the five e the curse of strahd yeah yeah i mean my memory because we played through that and i was actually gone for uh that was when i was on sabbatical so it was with my home group and so i was gone for four or five months and i left and they were in a certain area and i came back and they were still there. i mean i think they'd actually like come and gone but they were like they were still like I don't remember because that was we did a lot. I mean, it's got a ton of oh, yeah. sandbox stuff, which is it, it's it, super it, fun how it's set up. He, but my, my game master, he took a big nosedive and in, in, like he's got all sorts of like all the supplementary stuff for it. Like okay. he's always yeah, pulling yeah. off something new that's like, oh, you know, I found this that you know expands on this whole setting and in, in within that uh you yeah. know, realm. But uh, you know, it's it's fun, but it's just like, man, I'm just so jonesing to put a stake in the dag on vampires. Exactly, right, on. yeah. <laughs> Cool. Edwin, uh, tell us about your four or five adventures. Yeah, Edwin, let's, let's hear it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus in because I was just at Rising Phoenix Con uh, this Woo-hoo. past weekend, which is uh, Boston area, and it's it's in its second year, like Chaosium Con. And what did I do? I ran a game of Basin. I ran a five E game. Basin's uh, the uh, Viking like one from. Uh... It's um, a Swedish, um, okay. yeah, it's a Swedish uh, investigation horror supernatural game. And uh, it's a really fun, you know, it's a very light system, but it has enough stuff going on. You know, it's just a p- pile of D6s and you're looking for sixes when you roll them. Um, and the the basic premise is you're supposed to figure out some way to deal with, it's sort of a monster of the week kind of setup, but some way to deal with the, this particular race and whatever it is uh other than a head-to-head fight because you're going to lose that hmm. so you know you're trying to find a ritual or maybe you're trying to find uh some sort of uh way to trade with it or you know barter so a, bargain a with it flavor of, uh, of call of cthulhu then. a little bit of flavor of call of cthulhu without the the nihilism and the like <laughs> overpowering you know universe that doesn't care about you kind of thing this is really a much more personal you know, there is a, uh, you know, there's a mermaid that has shown up on the coast and you need to go deal with it. And the, I think the, the major theme is really supposed to be sort of, so it's kind of a steampunk-ish, you know, 19th century kind of deal. And the idea is that as the technology is advancing, the vasin are getting more and more uncomfortable. And so these sort of uh agricultural relationships that used to exist where everything was sort of figured out are all jumbled up and now now things are not doing so well um and uh oh look at that okay i think we may have a guest here um, and uh so i did that that was awesome uh i ran i think the last um uh play test of um of a adventure i wrote that will publish uh, in a few months and i think i asked you this last time and got it completely wrong but is that the dwarf one or was that one no that one's out that one's out that's the dwarven fiasco is out this is uh the magic siphon um so and then we oh and i had a fun game so this con sponsored uh sponsored five or six kids from a local uh, high school's D&D club it's a high school that is I think it's sort of smart kids with uh, trauma or with you know okay. some sort of uh, some sort of world not being great for them 
And so they, uh, so they brought him over to the con and I ran uh, a little bit of Teagle Mantle manner for them on the big, you know, 16 by 16 <laughs> yeah. foot uh, battle map. Yeah, that was fun. And then I played in a cyberpunk red game and I'd never played cyberpunk red and I, I enjoyed it. It was a great game. Great GM. Uh, I suspect if you'd sat me down at that game and just sort of given me a character sheet and a pile of D6s, I would not have known I wasn't playing Shadowrun. <laughs> like, I mean, the, the world, you know, the, the backstory is a little different or maybe a lot different, whatever, you know, the, but it's the same. It just, it felt very, and the, and the guy who gave us the mission, their name was not Mr. Johnson. I think that was sort of like, the, <laughs> <laughs> the but it was super fun. Um, so that was, that was a nice, uh, that was a nice time. So I had a really good time down there and uh, I will definitely be back next year. That's run by some friends of uh, friends of mine that were, inspired by the people who run total con and so it's sort of the same it's a very similar con but smaller so far alan hammock was there right that i'm not well, yeah, yes, you mentioned yes he yeah, was. I saw a lot of a lot of facebook posts look great we've got a great time yeah yeah definitely what, um, what, what was attendance like at that one i believe they're around 450 500 oh, same thing it's nice size. it was a yeah. great spot yeah and one of the i know that the the management of the con is trying to decide you know whether to try to hold there for a few years or whether to push for growth and if so when and so a lot of a lot of interesting questions on the running the con side so it's a uh, good time to run conventions because i think they if they want to grow right now they can all grow i think right. it's um it's a nice latent post covid yeah i do in the pool <laughs> uh, no i i do I, I think there's truth to that though um i know we all joke about it like everyone wants to click over but i i you know the i think about it is we, we forget this because we all have short memories but Conventions were actually on the uh, on the upswing prior to COVID significantly. Yeah, Most of definitely. them. I mean, GaryCon right before COVID, they their their question was, "What on earth are we going to do?" We got too, they had literally too many people there. It was uncomfortable almost be at that convention. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, game holes just growing like crazy. Crazy. Um, so it's uh, I think it's a good time to run conventions. Honestly. Hey! Surprise! Surprise! How's it going, Welcome, Paladin. Uh, How you doing? There we go. Hey, how's it going? Sorry about that. Not I a problem. problem. I laid down a while ago and I had a little arm set, but you know, sleep got the better of me. What can I say? <laughs> well, it sounds like it sounds like you uh, you occasionally go without, so it's good that you got some. Uh, yeah, that's what people say. <laughs> yeah, catching up on some Z's. Hey, well, hey, well, uh, hello everyone. Uh, my name is so, Alden. I know I'm just coming in in the middle of the conversation. It seems like oh, no, you, you are rescuing our <laughs> listeners because we we just come down the, uh, <laughs> down the tangent of calm talk, and we probably could have been there for an hour. So ah, yeah. okay, nice. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> well, sounds like it was, I'm coming in on a, on a good spot then. It seems very much so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so, uh, folks, our, our guest tonight is uh, and Edwin. I'm gonna have you introduce him. Because I'm gonna mess up his last uh, the last part of his name. Oh, I'm gonna skip his last name oh, so I don't mess it up. So this is Paladin. <laughs> Paladin and, uh... Hey, yeah. So, uh, well, well, my name is uh, Paladin Razor. You can just call me Pally or Pal or Paladin. Um, I'm a professional dungeon master. I've been a dungeon master for uh, about twelve years now. Uh, current holder, well, myself and seventy-three others have broken the world record for world longest TTRPG session in December. Uh, which is currently at 440 and a half hours. And before that, it was 206. Oh, so wow. more than double that. <laughs> yeah, more than double that now. Um, you know, I do a lot of D&D, &D, Pathfinder. I'm, I also stream on Twitch. 
Um, and I'm writing books currently and uh, really just doing a lot. I do this full time, so I'm here in this room pretty much all the time. <laughs> Professional game mess, man. When I grow up, I want to be you. <laughs> exactly. So uh, one of the things when Fallon and I were talking uh, a couple days ago or maybe a week or two ago, and he mentioned to me that this, this uh, longest session thing actually goes way back to live play at conventions or whatever. Oh, yeah. Bill, were you ever... Were you ever part of this craziness of like these, I don't know what they were, probably 100 hour or 50 hour sessions back in the 80s? Like, did you, were you part of this or knew about it? Not for D&D, but I did participate in at a um, AtlantaCon convention where we played Starfleet Battles, started Thursday morning, and we literally finished Sunday around three o'clock in the afternoon, nonstop. Oh, wow. Brutal. That sounds fun. Oh, yeah. I was like 20 <laughs> years old. It was a different world. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we've uh, we've invited Paladin on for two reasons. One is because he's doing something awesome that we wanted to talk to him about. And the other is because he's doing it with an adventure, which, although I'm a little biased, uh, <laughs> I say is pretty awesome that we wanted to talk about. We're going to start, uh, I think, just by talking about what you're doing and just sort of high level stuff. And then after we do a few other things, we'll eventually get down and do a little, this little dungeon treatment on rapid ethic. Um, okay. But yeah. If you, can you uh, uh, just uh, hold on, hold on. Hold on. We, ooh, we ooh, ooh, it's a mega dungeon. You can't, you can't say <laughs> rapid ethic. You gotta say rapid ethic, 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 ethic. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> and it, it's, and it's so massive, 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 massive. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yes, yeah, so I can give the whole tell us. I know you I know you give us the the the, the skinny, yes. you know, the the you know elevator pitch on who you are and what you do, but um sure. I, I, I want to slow it down. I do this with all, all our guests. I, I, sure. It's something I personally like. I think a lot of our listeners like. Tell us about your entry into gaming, uh, you know, where you got started in this hobby, how it took hold of you and, and, and what your favorite games are and stuff like that. Oh gosh, okay. When did this really start? Okay, well, I'm going like way back in the beginning here. Um, so I first learned about D&D when I was about like six or seven years old. And I remember bothering my parents like, hey, guys, there's this awesome game called D&D. I want to play it. And we went to the game store. And we couldn't find it because we were at the wrong game store. We had to go to a, a bookstore, not a like a toy store. Um, and so way back then, I was like, okay, clearly it's just one of those things that are made up that only exists on TV. And then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the cartoon nothing else <laughs> right yeah it's not real uh and i fast forward to when i was 21 years old fifth edition had just come out um and i was like what D, &D is real and so i bought the book <laughs> i bought i bought everything and i started running it for all my all of my co-workers and uh, the funny thing is that i had no idea how to play D, &D neither did anyone else and okay. i didn't know where to get things like maps or dice and so what i did is that i got a bunch of cardboard and i cut it apart to try to make 20 sided dies and they were not balanced at all it's like starting over with the chits in the bag yeah that's exactly what i was thinking bill do you got your chits handy for today's uh drawing i do oh, not <laughs> i do actually have a home book sitting here but it's a first print i was using it for my thing i do not oh, have the chip man. book because it drives me crazy <laughs> And uh, well, none of us had ever been, of course, never played it before. So we read through the book and I was like, I think this is how you play. And we had an awesome time. Um, and I made these uh, potions that were uh, basically jello shots. And I remember, I, I don't remember how the session ended, but I remember waking up the next morning <laughs> underneath the, the table. <laughs> so 
that was praying my to the porcelain altar or something. I feel like that's a good D <laughs> trope. Uh, yeah, right. And uh, well, so that's how I started out in D and D. Um, and then when I got out of the military, just continued doing that with friends and personal games. Um, and then I was like, you know, people kept on telling me like, hey, you should do games professionally and paid. And I, I don't, I've never ran games uh, paid. I don't like charging my players anything for being in my games. Um, but that's when I started Pilot Battles. I was like, you know, I guess I could do something. And so I started streaming and then came the world record in December, uh, about six, no, three months after I started streaming. And then fast forward to here and I'm writing two books and doing so much more. <laughs> wow. So I, I got to wrap my mind around this. So how many hours long is is the record, did you say? It's 440 and a half hours. And every every uh, two hours, either the dungeon masters or the players were changing out. But everyone was still doing like a four hour, um, like a segment of that. And kind of like it? linking together. Okay, the, the characters, did they remain the same and just players are switching in and out of the character? Or is it different characters in the same environment? Or Whenever we did the Mad Mage, it was the same uh, five characters from beginning to end. And there were a couple of times where uh, where some of the characters would die. Mm -hmm. And then they would get resurrected, same character, but it's just a different class that they would have. Oh. Um, and, and we can't really quite do that for Rapinathic. Uh, because it's, uh, I mean, you're going to die so often. Um, there were also some problems with having one character that everyone kind of became attached to. Um, unfortunately, you have so many people. If you start to get too deep on the characterization and, and nuances of uh, character development, you kind of tend to lose some communication between tables. And so you kind of need characters that are going to die more often and also be <laughs> less attached to. <laughs> so Rapin, I think, was perfect for that. And how did you elicit your, your players? How did you get this, you know, up and off the ground? Was it all just announced on your streaming uh, channel or? Oh, God, uh, that's that's really a true question. Uh, so whenever we did Marathon of the Mad Mage, I don't think there's ever going to be as many times as I'm going to be running um, marathons, which would be once a year now in July. Um, nothing will ever compare to the Mad Mage one because we it was myself and about 10 to 14 other dungeon masters that were basically doing stuff nonstop for six weeks. And we only had six weeks to prepare and try to convince people to come on and get everything set up. And at first we actually didn't have enough players. We were worried that we were not going to be able to, um, to run the marathon uh, because there were just not enough. We had like 30 players and like signups were just like really, really slow up until there was one person that had joined uh, that was apparently really, really huge on TikTok. Her name is Eve. Um, and she put out she put out a TikTok that got four hundred thousand views, and then all of a sudden we got swarmed. <laughs> and then that really saved the marathon. Uh, and as we got closer to um, to Christmas, I would say like the twenty day mark, uh, more people started dropping off uh, because of the holidays and it getting too close to Christmas. People were going to their to the winter home or traveling, um, and then like, we had to stop prior to our 600 hour uh, goal, which was 600 hours to finish the whole Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So we left off on floor, I believe 19, perhaps. Um, and then we continued the, the rest of it in January after the break. So, okay. but it was, a, it was a, really, a really long and, uh, and good experience. Um, there were a lot of things that were, um, that were great about it and a lot of things that were very uh, stressful about it too, it being the first time. 
Um, but overall, I think that a lot of good came out of it. If not anything, the people that we played with that are still in the server and that I actually make made friends with uh, and talk with pretty much on a daily basis. Sweet. Yeah. To, to be able to keep it going 24-7 or what have you, I assume mm-hmm. that means that you've got to have international buy-in, that, that you've got players and DMs, you know, further oh, along yeah. the, the longitude lines. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we had people from Africa. We had people, of course, from the from the uh, from Europe. Um, say people from Malaysia and Japan that were also joining in. Uh, at one point, we had a person from Russia that kind of came and went. Um, but it was it was a global a global uh, game, and so it was just fun meeting a bunch of people um, and hearing the different accents. Accents is also kind of cool too. You get this person from South Africa and Malaysia to college. It's like whoa, there's so many different uh, tastes of English going on right now. <laughs> and i feel like so uh by the time this episode goes out you will be just a few days away from opening up for player sign up so oh my gosh uh, yeah, it's you're already, already open for gm sign up so if you want to talk about that a little bit because yeah. we're gonna you got to find yourself 100 players and 17 yeah. gms is that what it is <laughs> i yeah so uh well the player well the group sign up started monday on may 1st and it's already so soon it's wednesday isn't it yeah, got five days until uh, signups will start and players can start joining in. Uh, so basically on May 1st, uh, groups of two to six players can join in. Um, and that's going to be at a reduced cost. Um, and teams of six players, which is uh, how many, the maximum amount of players on a, on a single table, uh, will be put into a little uh, competition between each other where uh, they will earn points for things like, uh, you know, most monsters killed most chaos most most character that's most memorable moment um and all of those little things will be um will be at the end of the marathon uh those points will be divided up between the various different teams and the one with the most points uh will be will earn this treasure hoard of items that i'm collecting so it's kind of like like software like books or pdfs um dice and other little goodies of what i can get my my hands on (laughs) between now and then (laughs) um but then a week after that will be individual signups on May 8th up until the event will start in July. Um, and the whole thing is going to be a charity event. So there is a, a buy-in cost that's $20. Half of that goes to the charity and the other half goes to the people that are preparing the game. But the thing is that everyone is donating their part to the charity. So really it's just 100% towards charity for what people are paying to join the game. And part of the uh, the cost is, of course, you know, well, of course, to give options to uh, people that want to to help, but you know, don't want to just give up their time. They're you know, professional dungeon masters, or uh, and so on. Um, and also uh, for um, uh, to have some sort of uh, emphasis for people not to drop out of the marathon as well, because that was a problem that we had. Uh, people would join in for one or two sessions, and then they would drop out which in the middle of the marathon could be devastating because you don't really have time to stop and go and look for people because you're, you're constantly going. And so you need it to just to keep going and not have people just join and then drop. So, yeah. Yeah. So come on out. And I think, yeah, so you've got a website and we'll put a link to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put it in. The and so we can get, if you're a GM and you want to sign up to run and if you're a player, and I think uh, if I remember memory serves, you're looking for, players with some reasonable amount of experience but you don't have to be a super expert and you have a lot of training planned for 
June on in terms of the dungeon, in terms of the software, right? Uh, you're using Foundry, I think, and all of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot. There's you if you're you know if you're sort of a a moderately player player, and you want to play, then mm-hmm. I think the support's there to get you get you on. And if you're a GM, similarly with some experience, the support is there to get you going. Right. And that's definitely, I, I think, one of the main concerns that I've heard. Um, Rappinath, it kind of sits in the middle with it being uh, a game uh, from third edition, right? Not second, third, from third edition. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of players that, uh, that remember Rappinathic from back then that want to join. But there are some hesitance because of the technology part of it. Because um, I know that a lot of people kind of, they, they see Foundry or they see all this high tech stuff and they get a little bit like, ooh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I can do it. Um, you can do it. it but you definitely can do it if you if you know how to play Dini, which you know a lot of us do. If you have at least uh, some knowledge of the base game, then yeah, definitely come out and join. And in June, the entire month of June it is going to be for training. And if, as soon as he unfreezes from the Zoom <laughs> call, he'll be back in and let us know that. <laughs> yeah, I this was just going to ask a question about logistics on it. So um, yes, well, or what physical logistics are involved in something like this? Yeah, I'm curious that about that also because yeah. the people are everywhere. So when he comes back, we'll, uh, we'll yeah. hear. So it's not you this time, Bill. <laughs> it's not. I'm actually at my house in Michigan. We have phenomenal Wi-Fi here. I'm not in the car driving to Florida or <laughs> wherever the hell I was the last time I had internet problems. Yeah. Um, do we want to uh, come back to him and do some uh, listener mail, or yeah, do you want to hit a, hit a letter while we're yeah. waiting? It's, like yeah. I said, folks, it's it's like whack a mole tonight, man. It's a surprise visitor any moment now. We'll see. Um, so we, we did get some letters uh, from the homeowners association. Uh, over we the last did weeks got some uh, great letters. So and I gotta find. Okay, here all right. Go. I'll start with this one from Peter Skeins. It says, hi guys, listen to the recent discussion about Buck Rogers. Turns out TSR put out two RPGs set in the world. The first was Buck Rogers on the 25th century from 1990, and it used some modified AD&D 2E mechanics, if memory serves. It spawned a video game and some novels besides five to six pretty good supplements. Flint Dill, Lorraine Williams' brother, even got a couple of credits on it along with many TSR heavyweights. The second was the Buck Rogers adventure game from 1993. I know much less about that one, but I, but I haven't heard good things. It seemed to suffer from what Bill suggested being a new system and geared towards playing the titular hero. Mm -hmm. I don't think either will go down in history as the pinnacle of space fantasy sword and planet RPGs, but here we are. Question. Besides Star Wars, why do you think space fantasy slash pulp seems to really struggle in our hobby? Great episode. Keep up the great work. Welcome back, Paladin. And, and Paladin's hey, back. So sorry. We, will, we, we decided to fill fill the air with a little uh, one of our listener mails here. So uh, we're going to respond to that mm-hmm. letter, and then we we got some questions to get back to. You're good. To run in rapid ethic in 30 days. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry about that. I, I heard a loud crash, and the cats had knocked over the entire tower at the modem. I was oh, like, wow. "This is a bunch of chaos today. What's going on?" <laughs> um. One thing I want to say is, uh, first off, thanks, uh, Peter, for writing in. Um, I did look it up because I was thinking, for some reason, I had in my mind that there was something um, that there was, there was kind of a, a projection of future systems that's found in the Buck Rogers box set. 
And, and you're right. It was basically just second edition with some, some renaming of some parts, but it did have a skill system that is, is likened to what you see in third edition. So I think that's where my mind was on that, that it's, it kind of, they, they maybe took parts of that and inspired them to do third edition, or maybe that was already kind of being boiled up in the background and they pulled from it to make that. I, I, I don't know, but, but. Um, and that was the version I played. I, I can tell you that right now. That was a version. The TSR, the, uh, the 25th century version. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm familiar with the other one a little bit, but I don't, I don't want to get bogged into that because that's, that really wasn't his question. I think we right. the real talked enough is, about is why does space fantasy really struggle yeah. in our hobby? Yeah. Well, so let's, let me re- back up on that question. Does space fantasy really struggle in our hobby? I think some that does. there are some there's some systems that are not as popular um, nowadays. And I know that a lot of people in modern gaming jump to fifth edition very heavily. And uh, they tried to do a spell jammer port for 5e and it did not do well because they did it as a small, thin little 100 page book as opposed to an actual setting, which is, you know, the universe yeah. multiverse is massive. Um, and so whenever I started playing a spell jammer and I love spell jammer, that's what I run currently on, on my Tuesday games. I sat down. And I locked myself away for two for two weeks before learning everything I can about Spelljammer. And I did not know about any of these other systems, like uh, like um, like there's the, the Star Wars one. There's the gosh, something without numbers. I forgot what it's Stars without numbers. numbers. Stars without numbers. Yes. Starfinder. 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 There's all and these the amazing systems ones, like that are just not that well known throughout the D and D community. Um, and there's a lot of people that play those systems uh, from the older. Uh, from older generations of gaming traveler um like yeah traveler is also an extremely good one yes yeah. i love traveler um that we just don't have as much exposure to so i think some of it is just that there's a lot of players in today's age that are not committing or not very comfortable coming out of that fifth edition bubble which is something that happens uh you see quite often um even like whenever the whole dnd thing happened in the beginning of the year uh people still had a lot of hesitance dropping oak jumping over to Pathfinder, although a lot of people did, and then came back. Well, this, after is, this is older than, than, than 5e, because, I, I mean, this, yeah. you know, I feel like the dominance of fan, of sort of what we'll call, whatever we call it, European medieval fantasy over space fantasy, you know, that's that's been true from day one. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so maybe that's the question. So there's some, there's a genre piece, not just a rule or, a, it, you know. It, doesn't that seem backwards to, like, like if you think of, like, movies or Novels. I have a theory. I have a theory behind this. Yes, please. I, I'm curious. So it on. So it, it goes back to again our discussion on Buck Rogers. A, a vast majority of science fiction RPGs are RPG are IP based. Now I'm not talking about c- c- current stuff. Current stuff isn't like Starfinder and Star Wars number. But you go back in the day, it was uh, the Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Wars, Star Wars and Star Wars. Star Wars role playing game. Uh, you know, the Buck Rogers one, obviously. Um, and and there, there's more. Um, those have always suffered. Um, you, you would think a game like Star Trek would be enduring. It just isn't. It's just they've had several versions of it. It never it never held the audience that the Star Wars D6 uh, Western games. And that's just a brilliant game, too. So there's there's that goes into it, too. You know, mechanics mean things to people. But I, I think to me, so when you get outside of that realm and you start having more generic fan, uh, science fiction RPGs, um, like Star Ace, even Traveler to some extent, 
I, I know we say travel is really popular. It's not that it's popular, not. people. It's just not. It's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a group of people who have played it for a very, very long time. They're loyal right. as hell to it. They still play it today. I get it. I, I played it back in the day. I He's not traveling. saying it's not a good game. He's I'm not saying it's not a good game. It's not popular. Yeah, so it's just not super popular, okay? Mm-hmm. Because so I, I think for whatever reason, when you get outside that um, – science fiction stuff is, a, I think, a lot harder for people to create adventures for than dungeon, just simple dungeon it's exploring. It sort of okay? suffers from the same thing that uh, superhero games A hundred percent, except yeah. I'll say Champions is, is an exception to that rule. But <laughs> it, it's very true, and I think that's why. I think, you know, a lot of big money went into um, uh, science fiction IP-related games. I mean, what the Firefly one came out several years back, right? You would think the cult following behind that, that would have been an instant success. Yeah, people yeah. ever playing all over the world. Nope. They bought it because it was, it looked cool and it was Firefly and nobody freaking plays the thing. Um, so I, I just think IP branded stuff really suffers. And again, this is probably, I, I'm talking about the time span between 1980 and 2005 or eight or something like that. I know the 5e thing is, you're right, 5e gamers are 5e gamers and getting them to branch out beyond 5e is a whole other thing. I, I think it does. I don't think it matters what system or what genre right. it is. It's just really hard to get them out of that. So I, I to me, that's always been where it's at. It's, it's really hard um, to get people to buy into established IP games to play for any kind of duration. You might buy it, play it a little bit. But that's it. It just but doesn't. No, I know. I, I absolutely agree with you on that. That, uh, but it's still surprising a little bit to me that there's not a you know that somebody didn't make a successful run at a non-IP based space fantasy game. And I know Lee, I think you Star saying, Frontiers was did pretty yeah. well, but but that had TSR behind it, so it's hard to say with that it, too. It, it kind of got the axe because of Buck Rogers too. I mean, that was yes. Of, yeah, because I mean, the, the only the only thing that's ever knocked or come close to knocking D&D off its throne was Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's D&D. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of like genre, like for some for whatever like reason, you know, I mean, Call of Cthulhu. You've been drinking Pepsi. What? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Call of Cthulhu is big, but it's never, you know, it's like so there's the horror genre. There is a successful game in the horror. Yeah, genre, it, it, but look, it's, it, but it's not. The numbers Shadowrun and Cyberpunk are also I, I consider kind go. of science fiction games, yeah, but they're yeah, not yeah. what we could oh, right. I think what he's talking about more like starship travel space you know, fantasy, yeah, space right. fantasy, right. Pokey stuff, stuff, Star Wars is, style. You know, yeah. You know, though, both those games are very popular, but again, that those are two gen, those are two non-IP mm-hmm. RPG systems, you know, right. with their own their own lore and their own create creative content. Um Again, maybe the spaceship just isn't that interesting. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, not, I don't, I, I think you're right. I think, I think it's okay. People might, I think people bought those games. People have played it for a couple months and then they just kind of like, okay. I, I mean, I, yeah, I I'm really, not saying they're not fun. They're not, they're not necessarily huge campaign, like, you know, right. I, I, we're just, they, they got to where they wanted to go and they were like, okay, I'm going to move on to another game now. Kind of I'm going to make so. a statement. Tell me if this is crazy or if it seems true. Do you um, want us to listen to it first or? So in, when we talk about science fiction, um, the, the flavors of a sci-fi setting are, are pretty dynamic there, there's lots of different types of sci-fi settings yep. hard science you know uh, 
more space fantasy and you know mm-hmm. all that kind of thing um it's very very diverse and what i might be interested in as far as my narrow scope of sci-fi is probably different than you or him or whoever um fantasy i don't know i mean i know there are different flavors but i think if we're honest about it the flavors are a lot more similar amongst fantasy settings than they are sci-fi sound reasonable or you think it's crap i think it's crap but (laughs) but i'm gonna make an even worse statement (laughs) all right (laughs) and i'm gonna say that sci-fi fans are more particular than fantasy fans this is very true this is is extremely true because whenever i've made (laughs) polls and try to get in break into the sci-fi bubble myself you know trying to advertise for my games and talking to others and such everyone had their particular particular taste about sci-fi fantasy that they had agreed and whether it's a particular system or the way that that particular system is played and then like, there's also like some um ambiguity and uh some nuances between various different settings that people can't quite agree on so it there's a lot of separation within the genre itself which well, makes it even harder to get into so everyone's imprinted on science fiction differently than than probably than their next door neighbor so i would agree there versus fantasy it does fall into a I think, yeah, it's fantasy obviously is a bigger spectrum, but it's also a tighter circle as far as is what your idea, what, you know, you're, you're carrying a shield, throwing, you know, carrying a sword and throwing spells. Science fiction has got everything under the freaking sun, you know, That's from time travel to, right, right. to Is it a matter of it's harder to imagine something that hasn't happened than it is to reimagine something that has, you know what I mean? Like, like it's easier for us all to get our headspace into the, you well, know, your like world building is medieval era, then right. It, it, it's well, absolutely. There's one thing to be world building in a, in a fantasy campaign, and then there is to be doing a science fiction uh, genre where you're, you're dealing with galaxies and a million different races and planets and everything else, mm-hmm. uh, right? And again, I think it, it, it does a lot of it does tie back to so most fantasy games, not most, a, a, a large portion of the most successful fantasy games out there. Uh, you also have players, their characters are there's level progression, right. That doesn't exist in most science fiction games. That's There's, true. It's just not that way. Your, your character doesn't change a whole lot from when you so start. That might explain the, the, uh, the lack of, systems. that might explain the lack of campaign. It may be more about the sure. characters. You know, your spaceship might level up or whatever, but your characters, right. you're right. Getting the your characters down. generally don't. So, and that's there you why go, Peter. You're, <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, i think there's a lot of i think there are a lot of yeah i think there's a lot of reasons for it but again i i also do think it's just uh i think when people do science fiction games they want to get so far away from fantasy kind of rules like if it i mean science fiction game systems are almost you're supposed to be realistic wild well yeah well they're wildly <laughs> different too everything yeah, from yeah. character creation to how you attack every, everything is so different than I think the you know a basic D and D Pathfinder you know classic Dungeons and Dragons kind of game, and I think they I think science where, where a lot of science fiction games go wrong is they try so hard to get away from that they create systems which just people do not like. And again, the the one I'm going to say the exception to that rule well, there's two. One is Star Frontiers, which is a D and D game in space, and then uh, the other one would be Western Games D six. Both system. simple, elegant, well, simple, elegant. elegant. Everyone loved that simple that, system. Well, elegant but I mean, Star Wars. but people, well, for whatever so reason, it doesn't matter what our opinions are. People loved that system mm-hmm. of 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 uh, mechanic system. Okay, they love that Star Wars. You know, I know it's called called a D system, but everyone loved that system, which helped grow that that game. 
if you would have put that system with, I think, several other uh, IPs, it probably would have done just as well. I mean, if you would have saddled, if you would have saddled Star yeah. Wars with Fast's old Star Trek RPG system, it would have shit the bed, pure and simple. <laughs> so, um, uh-huh. anyway, that's just my. That's how I look at. It. So, um, so we, Bill, we you had a question. Questions uh, for Paladin here when he got back on logistics on how all that works. And now I know we got away from a little bit, but you know how do how do how do people play into this? Where do they got to be? What do they got to do? You know, where do you, how does all that work logistically? I think, and I know it's a big question. Oh yeah, it's, it's a big question. Uh, I mean, the, the manual itself, uh, whenever I wrote it all up and I'm still laying down the text on InDesign, it's uh, 59 pages long. So as you can imagine, there's a lot on the back, on the back yeah. behind the scenes uh, to really, to really talk about. But, we're, but if we're talking about like the game and how the game is going to flow, I guess that's a good place to start. Um, it's that, the dungeon masters and the players are going to be 17 of each for each role. So there are 17 dungeon masters and six players with each player having 17 uh, spots available uh, that could be played. Um, and so that's 107 players and 17 dungeon masters ends up being 124 uh, people total. Um, maybe my, 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 my math might be a little bit okay, off, I'm, but... behind, man. I'm not whipping out my calculator <laughs> <laughs> uh, but every every two hours either the dungeon master or the players are going to be changing over and each role is going to be signing up for um, four hour segments and so every two hours there'll be a break and then there'll be about 15, 15 to 20 minutes to change over information with the upcoming group whether it's the dungeon masters or the next set of players I um, mean, each one of them will go into their individual little um, little rooms uh, to kind of change over information from a script that we're going to give them and then continue on on the same exact character that the last person had to lift off on. Uh, so are and then you and, like there's sort of the organizing team. And I know that most of the organizing team are GMs and some of uh-huh. them, and one player, two players. Or something. But is uh-huh. there also sort of uh, an eighth person who's sort of around at any given time to help with the transition and sort of like somebody you know are like I mean, obviously you're i assume streamed, you're running right? some games also yeah it's all right. streamed okay so you're, you're running games also then too? uh so that and that's a very good question so uh for the mad mage we had wanted to get codms which would have mm-hmm. helped with a lot of this like back end like technical stuff like whether it's like looking for players to fill in an empty spot or even doing the transitions on OBS for the stream. Um, we tried to do that again for Rap and Ethic. However, there's uh, many problems that had came uh, with even trying to do it for the Mad Mage and then trying to replicate it for Rap and Ethic. Um, typically, when people are joining for a game, they want to play. And so this person you know, that would be running these other tech stuff would not really be playing at all. And also when we realized in the Mad Mage is that for the most, for the most part, they, we really didn't need text or another person on the side to run all, the, all those things because it's so easy to just do from your end either as a dungeon master or as a player yourself um, and so what we did is that we had a virtual machine which is a virtual computer that was hosted somewhere um, and then uh, and then and on it we had a virtual obs that everyone that all the dungeon masters had access to so they could manually change the scenes themselves which is not hard to do all you got to do is click and it goes to the break scene click again you go back to the game so, and then the setting it up, I'll do myself. So it's not something uh, people have to worry about, um, but it's more or less just a login onto a machine and then changing the scenes back and forth as you need to. 
And then that OBS is pulling from your, from the GM's foundry setup, whatever. There's there's a foundry setup that the GM logs into to run the game. Right. And that foundry is also effectively in common for all the GMs as they come in and go out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so we're going to have, it's all, it's all server based. Um, And with it, uh, that comes like with a whole slew of problems regarding security. Like how do you prevent someone from just coming in and, either purposely or even accidentally more often it might be an accident just accidentally deleting everything and then everything right. is gone and so we have contingencies in place for uh well not only just for the accidental removal of, of anything um but also like what if a dungeon master doesn't show up or what if you have like no players um like at what point would, would you say like you know is it is it uh would you stop the marathon and at what point is you know putting lines um and answers for uh for exactly when to do what and so that's all things that we had experienced back either in the Mad Mage or even thought up of new ones for now because Foundry is a new system uh, for us to use. And so, um, so yeah, so we thought very hard on like making sure that we have a lot of fail safes so that way no matter what happens, we can still have the game proceeding forward. Now, I mean, this, this is obviously an amazing undertaking no matter what, but are, are you, is this like, guinness book kind of thing like is this going into a record somewhere beyond just you know our community i mean you know that that's kind of a spicy question uh <laughs> so and i'll tell you why so uh so back so the last recorded uh record for longest ttrpg was back in 1986 and that was for a reason um and so there have been a lot of groups that have done long sessions you know 100 110 hours mostly um, but Guinness World Record put a hard stop on wanting to do any sort of uh, any anything with um, with marathon D&D sessions. Um, and that's because back in 1986, even Dungeon or I think it might have been the Dragon magazine had uh, had made um, a uh, had put out a posting that they're not going to be doing that anymore because people started getting hurt from, from making these really long runs of trying to play so many days in a row and then. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good. So people were getting hurt. So they put a stop to it. So it's because of that that Guinness will not will not even touch touch doing any sort of D and D world records ever again. Uh, at least that's what I what what they had told me when I had messaged them over like a month period. You're like, hey, you know, we're doing this really cool thing. Can you can you possibly do it? And they're like, ooh, no, sorry, no, we can't. Not since this incident. And I was like, okay, that that makes sense. So officially, um, it's uh, I mean, we have all of the proof, all the videos. Mm-hmm. with nowhere to put it it's a terabyte of a video so trying to find somewhere <laughs> online to upload all of that that people could just access all the time uh is uh, kind of a kind of a process <laughs> um <laughs> uh but no there's not any uh, official like company or anything that's officiating it um part of it is uh just word of mouth and knowing like yeah we have this thing i mean it's there it's been done um but really we have nowhere to to put all of that data in the end of the day but we do have it well, luckily, in another couple of years, or maybe even another couple of months, that amount of data will seem like nothing. <laughs> oh God, right? Pop yeah. it on there, right? I mean, the way things right, it'll be way, easier to store. This way it's been going for decades, right? You just wait a little while, and then, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> a terabyte, yeah, you can have it on your watch. The, um, the the goal of these thirty days is it simply to the, the the number of hours that you're accumulating, or is there also a goal to actually? complete Rappanathic, you know, get all the way to the bottom level or I mean, what, what are your goals? I guess is the better question. Oh man. Well, you know, definitely we want to try to beat, um, we try to ex- try to exceed the amount that we're going to be donating to charity water, which is the charity that we have of choice 
which is a charity that provides clean water to people in areas that don't have it. So they like make clean wells uh, for people in like places like Africa or other uh, urban, uh, sorry, rural areas. They also like bottle water and they send them out to, to villages and such. So they're a really good organization to give money to. But the last time uh, that we had gave to them, it was just shy of $2,000. Uh, but this time around, with the entry fee itself and the amount of people that we expect to join, um, it's going to already exceed that even before the nice. marathon starts, which which will be good. Um, so I think even from day one, that, that goal is already kind of uh, beat. Um, and then the second goal is going to be, of course, to try to attempt to beat our old record. Um, and hopefully we can get past 440 and a half hours, which is about 20 days of playing. <laughs> and then the third one um, is really just to have fun making sure that, you know, people are not burning out, that they're not getting hurt. Um, mental health is a huge, huge component of it too. We don't want people to come into this feeling like they're stressed or any bleed between, between sessions uh, because it, you know, it's possible. And for an event that goes this long, when you have so many people, you're going to have conflict at one point or another, I mean, guaranteed. And so we just want to make sure that whatever might happen, that we deal with, with it in, in a good way and that everyone comes out of it just fine and still has fun. Um, but as far as beating the dungeon, I don't think we're going to beat the dungeon <laughs> in those 30 days, not the way that it's set up. Um, and even uh, the way that we're setting up Rapid Ethic, it's kind of almost like an MMO TTRPG. After, after the 30 days is done, it's not going to stop. We're still going to be playing the same way. Maybe, you know, it'll be like one day, maybe two groups might play. And then the next day, they'll, you know, pick up where the last group had left off. So then it'll turn a little bit more like, uh, like West March's style in that case. Yeah. And I guess one of the things I think we haven't said, just to interject a little on the um, logistics, is each person is basically signing up for eight hours, two four-hour sessions, two and a half four-hour sessions a week over the month. So right. it's, it's you know it's it's a commitment, but it's not a huge commitment. It's not crazy talk here. Is there time? Uh, can, can they split their sessions? For instance, could they do like you know four of their hours Monday morning and four of their hours? Friday night or whatever exactly or do they have to consistently always be the same day or it, it could be any day any time it could be if you want to do both of them on Monday back to back go for it and then the next week if you want to do it Tuesday and Wednesday completely fine um there was also uh, a question that I got is that if people join in as a team do they have to be both sessions as a team and the answer for that um is like no as long as you're doing at least one session a week as a team you get that second session to just play wherever you want as an individual um, and, uh, and we expect that as the marathon kind of goes along, I think we're going to have some drops, uh, from players, either from unforeseen circumstances or some other reasons that, you know, we might not think about right now. Um, but there's going to be more than enough people that are willing to pick up a third slot where they're like, oh yeah, like definitely can fill in this time for that slot for that role, um, that we should be okay. So I don't think we'll have many holes in the game. Right. Well, life happens, right? I mean, over a 30 right. day period, life's going to happen. So right. uh, that's cool. Very cool. Got one more quick question for you. And it's maybe the hardest of them all. Um, you know, they, they call <laughs> Rapid Athic the mega dungeon or a mega dungeon. Uh, we've talked about it on the show before, but you know, you're, you're the guy that's running it. What is a mega dungeon in your opinion? Oof. Okay. So yeah, we had to do, had to do a lot of that research when I was because I'm writing a book for Mega Dungeon right now. And so that's a question we have to start off with. It's like, what is a Mega Dungeon? Where does the line stop and end in the definition of a Mega Dungeon, right? Um, so a Mega Dungeon is a location uh, with many different types of, um, of creatures, 
and also many types of cultures or even like various settings that are all kind of mashed into to each other. Uh, and that there's kind of one main um, leading idea or event or creature or something that's connected it all together. And, are, and they have the capability to, tra to travel between these various uh, areas as well. So you might have like a floor that's level one. You might have a horde of goblins that also has a Draco Lich right next to it. And seeing that influence between the two um, different types of creatures and how that affects the rest of the dungeon as well. Um, a mega dungeon is also something that has a lot of different ways of travel. So it's not just one linear path down, right? So you might be able to go down like a shaft. You also have a way to travel somewhere else uh, via means of a well or, um, or teleportation or magic. Um, and then another thing that a mega dungeon has is that it's extreme. Every time you go down, it's always a different adventure, whether you're going down a different path or you're going down um, just a very specific part of one area that you've never been in before um, and, ex and experiencing your, um, your path from beginning to end very differently. So even between two different uh, tables, um, you can have extremely wildly different experiences going from A to B. And Rapid Ethic is sort of similar in that sense, where it has 58, 59 floors, uh, which is a lot, and over 100 maps. And not any one table running the whole book, even if you give the entire book to one dungeon master, they give it to another, they're going to have entirely 100% different experiences just running the whole thing from beginning to end, if they even get to the end at all. <laughs> right? They might just even TPK before they get to that point. Um, Likely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but the whole idea of a mega dungeon started out uh, back with um, with Gygax, whenever he created his mega dungeon uh, with uh, Castle Greyhawk, Greyhawk, I believe it was called. Um, and then the publication they had released, from what I know, is not the original dungeon itself. Um, but that was a large span of like the concept of what a mega dungeon is and then running from that. And it's evolved a little bit over the years. But for the most part, it's kind of stayed true to those first couple of pillars, which is that it's big. But it's not just one massive dungeon, it's different. So there's various different parts of it that is very that are very distinct from each other. Otherwise, you're just running one long dungeon if it's all the same theme from beginning to end. So, so it having variance, um, it having a connecting theme between all of it, multiple means of travel. Um, and then also uh, there was a fourth one. Um, oh, also that, uh, that you're not having the same adventure every time you go through and that there is influence between levels. So that's all what goes into a mega dungeon at the very base for what a mega dungeon is defined as. Nice. Yeah. Pretty good. Definitions go. Pillars there. The pillars. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Much better than what we did when we were trying to explain it. All right. That's right. So, uh, we're going we're gonna to step back into some listener mail here. I think we have two more uh, write-ins. And then we're coming back around full circle, and we're going to this old dungeon, Rapanathic. Uh, talk all about it talk about uh, you know what you guys are doing with it uh, to make it fit with your use and uh, our thoughts on it and, and how, what we would do with it so listener mail uh, the second one we have here is from john williams uh, and this was in response to james shield's uh, mace project that was the kickstarter with the oh my goodness i gotta remember the acronym monsters and character encounters maybe something, something like that to, yeah um, Anyhow, he says, uh, it's so amazing listening to him talk about monsters. It's almost like he stole part of my brain. And put a it simple... in a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a simple, convenient, and broad monster entry are just the kind of things that I think should be standard. One question I think you could ask regularly would be how each guest 
chooses to prioritize which project to work on when they have many ideas that each deserve their own project. I'm almost always juggling three or more projects and focus becomes a problem. So right, Paladin. So uh, Paladin, <laughs> you got a couple different projects other than the 30-day rapid ethic going on in your mind here? Oh, yeah. How do you prioritize what to work on and in what order? Oh, man, that's kind of hard. So when you get into project management and tide management, I mean, there's so much that kind of goes into I, I think that each person individually has their own set of priorities of what they're working on. And of course, different projects which should be entirely different things. Um, but gosh, I, I don't have a simple answer for that. I really because because my projects change so constantly. Throughout so the I, have, year. I have a simple I just have answer. to reprioritize. I feel time. like I have a simple answer for a hard answer. I feel like the reason it is so hard for most of us on our individual projects is that we are the only ones who are deciding what the priorities are. And we're going to keep changing based on our feelings. When you're, I mean, everyone does this all the time. Like when you have a job, you typically have multiple projects, but there is a reason. There's a client, there's a squeaky wheel, there's a deadline, there's some money on the line. And I feel like similarly for those of us who are even in the RPG world. So like right now, I'm going to guess that Paladin is that you are focusing on this marathon because it's going to happen and it's going to happen soon. <laughs> right. Yes. And so this book that you're writing and the other book that you're writing and like, yes, you are working on those presumably, but they're going to back burner because they don't have a deadline. But if assuming just to make things up, you decide to run a Kickstarter and you promise your, your backers that you're going to provide the book to them on this date. Well, suddenly, boom, there's your deadline, there's your priority. So I think, I feel like if you're just a solo creative, just sort of, it'd be fun to do some stuff and it'd be fun to do this other thing and be fun to do this other thing. Yeah, it's it's impossible to prioritize. And it's really, if you can bring in some external constraints to your world, that it becomes relatively easy to prioritize because now you have a reason to. And so I think, I mean, part of, one of the reasons I think that they often, you know, that it's often like, just do something is you know so because then you have a deadline okay i just say it out loud like you go on facebook and say hey everybody i am writing 17 creatures this month okay boom now you've got a deadline you've got a priority somebody just because you've told somebody about it and that's that's pretty popular pretty common psychology you know that's why you have running group or diet groups or aa or you know whatever it is it's sort of that peer pressure thing and getting some accountability and so i think i don't know if i if that sort of answers if it helps john williams but it, i feel like the you know yeah bill what about you do you guys have a, a way of figuring out your priorities for projects <laughs> it changes every day <laughs> it changes every day we have uh so for us it, it's um it's pretty complex because we're trying to balance different projects through the year using you know obviously kickstarter is our our main business model so Right now, I can tell you on our, we used to use a whiteboard where we kept track of projects. And now we've moved on to, we have a gridded, a gridded um, big charts, like a 24 by 36 with like, you know, it's got like 40 pages that you buy that flip over. Mm -hmm. So now we've moved on to that because we have, right now we have 14 active projects um, plotted out for like the next three years because that's just how we have to do things now. And yep. what we do is we just make notes as we go, like where, where that's at, what we're doing. And some, some of these projects have, have got little more than just basic outline design and others have got a whole slew of things done on them and they're different types of projects. So we break them down 
it's a big process. And I, I, I mean, this is a lot for me. To, I don't want to talk all night, but we, uh, yeah, you do. Um, we have to break it down by <laughs> what type of project it is. Um, and then uh, where does it fit into our production schedule? Because we don't want to do like two or three of the same kind of products uh-huh. in a row, that kind of thing. So, and now we've got, we've got a couple, we've got three um, products that have got, sequel is not really the right word, but they're ongoing products. So we have our Endless Encounters book that we did last year. So that one was Dungeons. Uh, We've got Endless Encounters. uh, Wilderlands is next. And there's like three more books in that line scheduled. So that's got to fit in. Uh, We have, uh, Ben has a large solo uh, adventure campaign book going on, Endless Encounters. And that's going to be three or four books. So that's on its second book right now. And then we interjected Toma Quest, which is now an annual product, which we're taking our legacy products for by year. So Toma Quest One, which is I think I showed you guys earlier. I know our listeners can't see this. Well, the Toma Quest beautiful looking book. Beautiful looking book. Toma Quest One has just come out, and um, so that was year one of Paysetter. So that was our books from 2009, roughly. So we got six adventures that we did in 2009 in print. So that now we're doing every year. So next, this this December-ish, November, December, we'll launch Toma Quest 2, which will be 2010. So on and so on now. So it's the bigger you get, the more complex this stuff gets because the problem is that's not always, doesn't always work because that's not always what you like. You want to work on the things you want to work on, right? And I am- you have the inspiration while talking. I am notoriously right. bad at, getting hyped about something i'll wake up in the middle of the night with an idea for a book that i'm not supposed to be working on for two years and yep. spend the next three days working on that okay i do that all the time so um you but what gets me back is we do plan things out and schedule things out with deadlines and that is uh i think what i'm taking the forever way of getting around to is, is give yourself deadlines and, and by deadline i mean like drop dead dates on a calendar Put them on a calendar that you can see. Put something visual. I'm a visual person. I need to have these visual aids for me to reference. It's like, okay, where are we at this month? And where's this product supposed to be at? And that kind of thing. So that's how I do it. Um, again, we're, we're talking, it's not how I did things 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I said, okay, I got an idea for adventure. I'm going to spend the next two months designing this module and producing it and getting in print. You know, I, I can't do that anymore. It's just not how it works. But uh, Doing starting that way got me to the point where I think we're pretty successful at what we're doing now. I mean, this book is scheduled. I think our delivery date on Toma Quest is November and it's shipping now. So we're what five months, five, six months early on it. Got a little lead so time going. We're finally getting to that point where we're we're yeah, where we're getting ahead of our schedule, which has been a long awesome. time to work through to get get done. But yeah, write things down put it in calendar form. Um, and if you're a visual person like me and you need to have big calendars laying around the house, whatever, then that's what you need to do. And if you need to get someone to hold you to it, get someone to hold you to it. And then that helps too. We have a staff. So it, and we hold each other to things. So, yeah. I would throw out, and I think I'm kind of at your level, John, where, you know, you and I are just independent people working on our own with little projects. One of the things I always try to do is, is see how, one project will open doors for another project. So for example, you know, 
Is there something in this thing that when I complete it, I'll have new skills or new knowledge or access to a new, you know, community of supporters that will then make this other project a lot more successful. So like I'm, I'm working on a solo adventure coming out, but one of the reasons I pushed it ahead of where I was going to put it is because some of those rules and in, in, in coming up with those rules are going to help me put in a, a hopefully uh, GM-less version of another game I'm working on to come out next year. So like kind of seeing how they tag into each other and what, what will make one go better, you know, by doing the other one first is always, you know, pretty useful. Yes. To everything awesome. you just said. So the, uh, our third letter is uh, from the lone DM. Lone how, are the dice, huh? uh, how are the dice rolling dungeon architects? I went back to listen to the top five episode and came to realize that you guys quit doing the whole search for the Holy Grail thing. He is right. Was there a reason that segment got dumped? I was inspired to send in a question by it. Have you ever searched for a gaming product for a long, long time and then had buyer's remorse after obtaining it? I recently put together the entire run of Boot Hill. Now I realize it's not the Western game I wish it was. Look forward to your next episode and would love to see you spread into other genres of RPGs. Not to offend, but I just like hearing about some of these other old systems. Thanks, Lone DM. It's all Lou's fault? <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It's not. So you, you want me to tackle it? He says as we hit the, uh, what is this, uh, hour and a half mark here? I'll tackle it real quick. So Lone DM, we, we kind of made a decision at some point where we really needed to get away from doing three-hour shows, and we had to <laughs> nip a few things, uh, and that was one of the casualties of it. And and I'll, I'll tell you, I miss it. I do, because I'm the one, I'm the guilty party that was always, what's Bill looking for? And let's hear the entire backstory of that product. So I get way too wordy on it. I know I do. And I just, now I want to talk about Boot Hill and I want to know what edition you collected and, and all that. So, because what well, that was one of my Holy Grail items. I remember on one of our shows, um, I was looking for, a, I had an old ratty uh, first print digest of Boot Hill, first edition. And I found a, a game hook a year or two ago. Um, I was able to, to purchase a, a beautiful first print copy. Um, so I will say about Boot Hill, especially depending on what, He's looking both which edition he bought. I'm I'm assuming if he's saying he bought like chased a whole bunch, it was probably so second with the box set that had like the five or six modules that came along with it in the GM screen and all that. If you're looking for Boot Hill to be an RPG game, I you are gonna be sorely disappointed because it's just not what that game is. They tried to do it as an RPG. Uh it's it's a skirmish game. It's what it's that's its core. It's it's designed to get a bunch of people around a table and to start shooting at each other. And that's, <laughs> that's the beauty of boot Hill to make it a full RPG. It's the rules just aren't really there for it. I know the Steve winter version, which is the third edition. See, I see, I wouldn't see how worried I can get on this. The third edition of boot Hill was written by Steve winter and they made a much larger conscious attempt to make it a role-playing game. Um, I guess I didn't even remember there being a third edition. It's a, it a, a book soft book? cover. It's about three quarters okay. of an inch thick. Maybe half half to three quarter. Um, it's cool, but again, it's just it just struggles because it just tries to hold on to those early roots of Boot Hill, which was a bunch of guys sitting at a big sand table with miniatures, and a fight breaks out in the saloon. Then the next thing you know, that everyone's got a character in the town, and you're all killing each other. 
that's like the, uh, I feel like there were some in. attempts to uh, to make Car Wars into a role playing game. Also, sure, yeah, went similar. down a similar path of yeah. not. It's just not where it is. So, but no, I've never. I'm not a buyer's remorse guy, so I can't. <laughs> I will say that I, I like my stuff, so it is what it is. The, now, was it what I wanted it to be? Maybe no, probably not. I'm sure, and and I say that because, uh, and, and and honestly, I do say that ironically because. I am going to take over the next couple of months. I'm going to go through all my collection and just pair through the duplicates and stuff that I just uh, don't really want it to be there anymore and core it down a little bit. So I will be actually moving a bunch of my stuff out probably to eBay or RPG auctions and all that, but it's uh most of it's not going anywhere. I'll say that. <laughs> Alan, how about you? you ever been bitten by buyer's remorse uh, with role-playing games? Ooh, see, this is a okay. So, the way that I see games and RPGs and uh, TTRPG games, it's kind of like, kind of like you know, like kind of like finding you know your love. Uh, I, a lot of a lot of the fun that I get from playing TTRPG games is not so much from the system; it's from the memories and the game that and the games that I have with with friends. Mm-hmm. And so, it doesn't matter what system. I, I mean, I have a group of uh, friends that I play with on Tuesday nights. Dream Team. It's a stream game. You can give us any any system. It doesn't matter what system it is. We'll always have fun, but it's because of us, not because of the system. Sure. Right? Our fun yeah. is not based on on the rules. It's based on our interactions with each other. Um, but I guess if I am looking at a particular system just for the system itself, um, I think I would want to find something that is very um, uh, very close to how I like to play games, which is gonna have uh, gonna have enough rules to know what's going on. So, uh, but also simple enough that other people aren't gonna be confused. From it and and that's it really so it doesn't matter if it's a d20 or a d6 really doesn't matter the numbers the rules at the end of the day are really all optional and what matters is instead how you and your friends are connecting and the fun that you're having in that time together really so um so i don't really have any remorse from buying any games because it doesn't matter which game i play i'm always going to have fun even if it's a really uh subjectively bad system as you know as, as other people might might put in but i haven't had a single game or a single system that I've not had fun in before. Oh, I'll, I can introduce you to some, but um, <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's just the people think, you play uh, with, Bill. <laughs> Bill's been around, been around the block a time. I, I think what, what a, a, an aspect of what you're saying too is, especially when we buy older stuff for us, you know, if you were around and maybe you played it way, way back and a little bit, whatever, it's that window into the past when you pick up that item and you look through it. Even if you didn't play it, you don't have that shared memory of it. It's it to me sometimes it's really cool to to buy a a product maybe when I didn't even buy back in the day but I remember it came out and mm-hmm. I saw it it's at a table at Gen Con yeah and I never I never picked it up but now I pick it up 25 years later and I've probably built up a thing in my head of what it's supposed to be you know and then I read through it and look at it man this is really crappy well, it sounds but, like what happened with Lone DM that he was had heard about Boot Hill yeah it was going to be a Western it, RPG and it, yeah. it, it seems that it seems that way I mean I I, I think of the the other like I, I'm going way out here but games like Macho Women with Guns uh stuff <laughs> oh, like that, that like came out <laughs> way back in the day I mean just you know um god there's others I I, I can't think of off the top of my head but they're just yeah, not so good, but you have this vision in your head. So I do think sometimes that memory, that 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 window into the past is, is cool to look at, though, right? Just how they did things, whether you ever play it or not, I think is fascinating. So I think the uh, the thing that comes to my mind uh, 
it's not a huge thing, but um, there's a module for D and D called Isle of the Ape. Uh, it was a Gary Gygax module. Has the gorilla on the cover, uh, and I I saw it at the store as a kid, and I was like, oh man, you know that's you know it's like playing King Kong, and I would so love to do that, but for whatever reason didn't have the allowance or whatever didn't get it, so I paid I don't know I don't want to say it's like eighty bucks for this thing or something. Sure. Uh, just to have it and it just really sucks it's terrible it's just <laughs> terrible i mean there's there's uh there's a map of an island i mean i, I could no, use that and throw in a gargantuan ape from the monster right manual. right it's just a it's just a bad bad module it's yeah. just not good uh great awesome. Edwin, how about you any buyers remorse I have never looked for something for a long time. I've never been a, I'm not a collector. I'm, yeah, no. I mean, I, I, there's another reason that that segment's gone, Lone DM. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I had nothing to contribute to it. <laughs> a little lopsided, wasn't it? <laughs> All right. Well, if we're out of letters, then that means it is time for this old dungeon. This. Old Dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Dungeon, dungeon, dungeon. Awesome. So we're talking about Rappanathic today, and Rappanathic is, uh, I guess it's a 23-year-old uh, dungeon so it came out in uh, 2000 2001 uh, d20 system by necromancer games which is the predecessor for frog god games so I'm, i am as i said I'm, I'm biased on this thing but it's <laughs> it's older than me so uh, not literally um so it came out in uh um it, it, in a few... edwin uh, hates to sidetrack but i've always been curious i'm gonna ask it now okay um so you've got lesser gnome yes you got necromancer You've got Frog God, Frog God. and in there one more. And um, man, I hope not. They're keeping secrets from me. <laughs> it... Oh, oh Necro. So there's swords. Swords and sorcery was kind of a. Well, actually, Bill, you probably know part of it anymore. That was at D20. That D20. Yeah, it was, I think a D20 mark as part of Necromancer Games. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So 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 Necromancer Games uh, was founded around 2000. Uh, it eventually was dissolved and sort of put on a shelf and frog god games was created with still owning necromancer games but as kind of a silent yes. company and a few years ago we re enabled re enabled necromancer games uh, and so it's uh, basically two parallel companies two two brands same company effectively oh, yeah. So uh, Le lesser, lesser gnome was the lesser Zach, gnome Zach, Zach Laser uh, partnered John with Hammerly. Uh, yeah. Really, Zach. So started uh, lesser gnome to do the uh, Whisper and Venom Kickstarter, and then Death and Taxes, which I got in with lesser gnome with Zach on that, and then Frog God uh, hired Zach and bought lesser gnome. They acquired him, IP right? basically. Yeah, they acquired it. Yeah. Um, but Lesser Gnome still, I won't say it still exists, but it is, um, yes, yeah, so the IP went went to, uh, to Frog Eye Games and Lesser Gnome, I guess, could 
if necessary, it's just maybe someday, but, but yeah, yeah. So it's, basically so acquired it, lesser known. So then is, is Bill Webb necromancer games or him and, and some partners or. So, yeah. So, so there are, uh, I think we are seven currently. So three managing partners, uh, Bill and uh, Bill and Zach and me. And then there are, I think four other partners uh, in frog God games um, who have some, you know, partial smaller ownership percentages. Um, and that's so that's frog god games and then we'll say necromancer uh, games is a wholly owned subsidiary of frog god basically it's that kind of a thing right okay yeah all right so this when this started off this was, was so this was necromancer, necromancer games when it was when it was all there was for us um so and that was bill webb and clark peterson uh for as i said for three uh, for d20 uh, in 2006, uh, Necromancer Games re-released it for 3.5, and that was, and each time it sort of grew a little bit. Um, I don't have all the numbers, but in 2012, uh, the combined Necromancer Games and Frog God Games, so I think that was right about the transition period and not wanting to lose the necromancer games marketing and so that was so that's actually double branded with both companies <laughs> and that was uh pathfinder edition and swords and wizardry editions and at that time it had gotten up to 52 levels and 28 wilderness areas and then in 2018 we put out the 5e version which was the first color version so that 2012 version is all black and white uh, 2018's 5e color art color maps and it went up to 59 dungeon levels and 33 wilderness areas so there's a bunch more uh, the 2012 version has about eight or nine authors on it and then um, so that you know adding um, Bill Knauer, Gabber Looks, uh, Matt Finch, Skeeter Green, Greg Vaughn etc so there's like a whole mess of people because all those little bits and pieces as they're getting added on um, and so I think part of what makes Rapid Athic what it is is that number of it's both a lot of author contributions but it's also you know effectively it's a it's a rambling home campaign right <laughs> and so you get somebody running this dungeon but then you know one month or one year it's like oh you know what would be really cool i just saw this movie or i just saw this thing on tv or i just read this module and this this is going to be this and so that's i think why you get a lot of the chaos in the uh, in the adventure so that's a little of the history of Rappanathic. Um, and I think we're on the probably the second printing of it, maybe the third, but so it's it's been it's been uh, in production for a long time and it's been, you know, it's still still going fairly strong. So that's pretty exciting. That's been a lot of fun. So if you get the 5e version and in the very beginning, there's a nice it, it, Bill calls it a tribute, but it's an entire page. It kind of goes into the history of a lot what Edwin was just saying, and, yeah. and a lot more, which I, which is fascinating to read. And it, it's quite a bit of information. So it's all it's in the book. You get the five E version. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's more a history of, of Bill and gaming and some Bill sense, and gaming. history of rap and ethic. But it's pretty but it's cool. For yeah, sure. I reread it also. It was, it was like, oh, this is kind of fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've got the yeah. Pathfinder version. I think was the twenty twelve. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah. it's got it's got some of that. I don't know if it's as extensive or not, but it's like yeah. There's a preface. Sure. I think the 2018 has both the 2012 preface and a new preface. <laughs> uh, so it just keeps keeps growing out. And of course, the uh, actually I don't know if the graveyard has grown or if it's it may still be the original. 
So the one of the things that is in this adventure is a graveyard, and the gravestones have the names of a whole page of whole page of dead player characters uh, from the early early games, and I think that's really cool. So there's a lot of history of the playing of the game that works its way in here, and I think in the same way that you know if you're a and D historian and you start looking at you know uh, some of the older adventures, you see all the um, anagram names of people. And I think this is similar in that there's a lot of mm-hmm. what we call, co- um, not cookies, uh, what Easter do we call eggs. them? Eggs, Easter eggs. Like chicken eggs? Easter, uh, Easter eggs, eggs yeah. in there. Cookies better though. Oh, cookies yeah. are fun. Yeah. <laughs> I had some cookies for me. Yeah. So Paladin, um, um, okay. do you want to take a little bit here? Tell us about like what attracted you guys to this and, and uh, you know, what, you know, kind of, I guess we haven't talked about you know, what is the history behind Rappanathic? I mean, obviously, we don't have to go into all the details, but the general setup for the uh, the dungeon. Uh, yeah, sure. So a lot of what attracted us to Rappanathic is that, uh, well, back in January, we were looking at various uh, different modules that we can choose um, that would kind of fix some of the problems that we had with Mad Mage. Uh, of course, we needed something that was still very big. And in 5th edition, there's not, in, at least from Wizards of the Coast, there's not really another mega dungeon that matches Mad Mage. So we kind of had to branch out and look at um, other third-party publishers. Uh, but that was also a time whenever, um, whenever Watsi was having their, their event. Um, and so we were looking at a, at, a, at a book or a module that could be played in either 5th edition or Pathfinder because we were just unsure of what the outcome of what all that was going to be. Um, and we had to start preparing soon. And so we're like, okay, well, let's look for something that has both. Um, the second thing is that we wanted to have something that was very that was a lot simpler than the Mad Mage. Unfortunately, whenever you get into just an immense amount of story, an immense amount of um, of like factions and interplay between those factions, you kind of lose a lot of that knowledge between different tables, uh, which then again causes problems because then you get about halfway through the module and then no one knows what's going on. <laughs> and so, fortunately, wrapping up, I think is a little bit more uh, more old school. And like you know, there's a door, there's monsters, you kill it, you lit it, move on. Right. There's still some story to it, uh, but it's not like overly complex. Like you're walking into an entire domain of elves and you have like five kingdoms and you don't have to deal with all that. Uh, so in that aspect, in rap and ethic is a lot simpler and it's a much more favorable. Um, and then whenever I saw the book itself and I saw how gritty and lethal it was, I thought, ooh, this sounds cool. This sounds great. This is something that you don't see a lot in fifth edition because uh, <laughs> a fifth edition tends to be very um, easy and simple comparatively to older editions and so um i looked at that and i was like no we can't have that we got to make it lethal as lethal as it was in the older editions and so a lot of that was us uh looking at the rules that currently exist in 5e for variant rules um and then picking and choosing ones that would mesh well together uh as well as adding a few of our own homebrew rules on top of that in order to help with more of the lethality but not make it overbearing and over overwhelming for players Nice. Um, yeah. You you want to go through the the backstory also real quick, like like how does this dungeon come to be? Oh gosh, how does this dungeon come to be? Oh, there, well, there's an entire um, history like within the first couple of pages of Rappanathic uh, itself uh, that that talks about Orcus and uh, there was a war that happened and like going through all of that. I mean, it's it's many many uh, pages long, uh, but essentially how we're going to be doing this particular module um, connecting into Rappanathic is that uh, there is a guild house that is there that's ran by a patron. Um, and a lot of these players that are being brought in or characters are cursed characters 
um, that in order for them to go back to their world or their time, uh, they have to go through Rappanathic and then destroy and then get through to the end in order to go back home. Uh, and most of them are not going to make it very far. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of danger in those halls. Um, but trying to create at least some sort of commonality or some some common theme or some uh, stressor or, or a goal to give everyone a push forward to get through to the end was really uh, was really essential. And we needed to, it to be something um, external uh, to the game itself. So, so that was one that we uh, had thought of ourselves. So I like that. That's, that's one thing that's always bugged me about Mega Dungeons is like there's, there's no hard stop. And so you're only, the, inevitably it seems like the only end is burnout. Like, oh, I'm just tired of playing this. But to have a, right. if you get to this point, you, you quote unquote win, you know, or you quote unquote, yes. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> Well, we'll see how that goes, right? So the end of the of the intro of the new intro, right, has the uh, oh, and yes, level fifteen is just intended for you to read. <laughs> we'll see how far they get whenever we'll they see how far they get. How yeah. far they get? We'll just have to see. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long dungeon. Yeah, I, I got to say, you know, it, it, and I told Edwin this before the show that um, you know I, I I don't like mega dungeons, never been my thing. Started reading this. And I'm going to be honest engine here that uh, I did not get all the way through it. I got to page, I think it was like 360 or something like that out of 600 something of the. Actually, you got version. pretty close oh. then because yeah. the last 200 pages, it's creatures. Yeah, you pretty much almost finished no, the book. Not in my yeah. version. Like I was only. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You're right. You've got the, you've got the, you've got the like the creatures version. are in a separate book. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Cause I was only on like level 15. I want to say something like that. Aladdin's something Aladdin's fate Aladdin's fear, yeah, I, Aladdin's surprise I got I the 5e remember. version right here yeah but um so the 5e version well, it's I, like I 600 page pages 100. and the bestiary starts on 486 right so yeah 200 pages yeah. of bestiary basically in uh yeah so roughly 500 pages of adventure yep yeah but I, I got to like page 100 and it was just oh. finishing the wilderness surrounding it. Cause there's a, there's a hundred miles huge wilderness. of detailed wilderness around the, the dungeon itself, which ends up being important because there are, you know, kind of like what Paladin was saying, there, there's other ends into this dungeon spread all over the place. Uh, so, it, yeah. you know, that, that, you know, that pillar of mega dungeonness having multiple entries and exits uh, holds true for sure. But um the, the, the thing I liked about it that they kind of get me to kind of think about, oh, it'd be cool to play a mega dungeon is that it, it did a good job of, um, of setting up a lot of different actions and activities going on. It's not all just a straightforward dungeon crawl. There's lots of, uh, lots of rooms that are puzzle rooms and in, intrigues and in each part of the dungeon is very thematic. It's not just monster hotel after monster hotel. Um, and they do a really good job, I feel, of organizing it for this kind of product uh, based on, and this is only based on stuff way back in the day, like um, I'm trying to think of like World's Biggest Dungeon might have been the last mega dungeon I looked at. Um, so it's, uh, it's got some nice, you know, uh, what do you call those graphic uh, organizers that kind of help you see how the levels connect to one another and at what depth they are. Each level starts with a little tidbit that tells you about, you know, what the what, what sort of special rules are in place, who the inhabitants are, and, and things like that. Um, so kudos to Frog God for, for organizing it like it is, because I, I can't imagine running anything like this um, without that kind of structure. 
I think one of the things that actually probably helped us was that Pathfinder Paizo is actually has is relatively strict in terms of their license requirements. And so when we did Rapid Athic for Paizo, we had we did a bunch of stuff that was sort of this is how things are done. And that structure of being of forcing us to structure this, I think, really helps because that definitely followed into the Swords and Wizardry and uh, and then later on into the five E version that we kept that all those systems in place because it is obviously from the minds of really unorganized people. <laughs> and I gotta say that too is that you know for a product that's got you know all sorts of cooks throwing things in the pot it doesn't read disjointed. Like one level doesn't read like it's just on a totally different, you know, yeah. space than another. Uh, I mean, they're thematically different, but they all, there's not like, oh, this one's wacky and oh, that one's, you know, serious and grim and, and macabre. And, you know, they, they all have a, a fairly similar tone, you know. Yeah, yeah. Bill, you're pretty quiet for an episode. <laughs> I, you, look, <laughs> you can talk about this for i'll get into my when we this old dungeon it uh the the backstory of this edwin's going to be a much better resource than i am i mean i have it i have a few different versions of it um i've i have only played in it once when bill ran something at uh gary con a number of years ago and it was the 20 of us playing in it and it was an absolute <laughs> riot and uh -huh. <laughs> a bunch of people died and it was it was great um so, but I, you, you know, I can't speak to the creation of this prod product very, very much, you know, because um, my familiarity is again, I only played a little bit of it. I have read most of it, but I like Lucy, I piecemealed it. I didn't sit down and read a whole bunch at one time, but this is probably over a course of 10 years, um, you know, picking the book up and reading a few chapters or a few sections of it. Which yeah, you can do I, very I had easily. a lot to, uh, so I sort of came into Frog God more or less as this was getting put together. And I was doing a lot of the uh, final 5e conversion and review and so forth. And like most major products, we were, you know, behind schedule and working like crazy to try to get the thing out the door. Um, so I've probably seen most of it and I've run little bits of it here and there and I've definitely you know reread some parts of it uh, for a while we had um, a 3d printed uh, map of level 1c that we ran at conventions like you know made like um, I think it must have been Tullus's stuff but the uh, you know 3d yeah. uh, dungeon tiles that dragon, uh, and that was a hoot I mean that was cool yeah um, and, you know, some of this stuff, I mean, when I think about what it would take to 3D print the 100 maps, or like, it's just, there's <laughs> so much, like, it's just enormous. Because every the, level, this... folks, has, like, levels that are tangent to it. So you don't just have, like, level one, you have, like, level one, then you have level 1A, level 1B, level 1C, you know. Uh, sometimes, you know, there's uh, some some levels that have, like, I think, four, maybe even five other levels in parallel with other dungeons sort of i mean it's, it's, it's effectively it's yes yeah, like 60 dungeons if you think of a dungeon as something you could do in you know four or eight hours maybe you know and i think it's uh quite funny that you bring up the, the 3d stuff because i'm actually making the entire map i could i had trouble structuring it in my mind because this is it was so 
many places. And I was like, well, how exactly does it fit together? Because I like to think about stuff in 3D in my mind. It's like, where exactly is this level in comparison to the one above and so on? And so I grabbed uh, all the levels and I stacked them on top of each other on uh, 3D uh, rendering software. And so I'm like, I'm making a 3D map and how they connect together. So like I have a river that connects all the way down to the, to the 13th floor <laughs> and like making all the different connections and coloring it in. Um, but also in addition to that, uh, I was thinking of turning the dungeon into a 3D dungeon to play in for Tailspire. Because uh, apparently I'm doing the, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage in 3D for, on Saturdays. So like if you come on Saturdays, you'll watch. We have the entire map, the entire Undermountain is entirely made in 3D and you can move the tokens through it on a virtual 3D software. Um, but I was thinking about doing the same thing for Rap and Ethic. And I was like, this is going to take a lot of time uh, to try to create. But it's completely doable, especially with today's software, where it's really easy for you to just pick up uh, like Telspire, for example, you can make a room in just a matter of seconds. So it doesn't take that long at all. And so um, and so being able to do that is just becoming more and more capable as time goes along. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or two, you do see a Rapanathic in 3D and, and, uh, and it's me that's leading it potentially. Rapanathic 3D. <laughs> that's a whole, you know, that's the, that's the next. So in 2024, we're going to be selling with Paladin Rapanathic 3D. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I will say I do like, um, that was another thing that I've always disdained about uh, Mega Dungeons is the idea of, of the levels being just one one map that's just really, really big and wide with, you know, one through 100 encounters on that level of the dungeon, one big map. Whereas almost all these maps are, are like kind of what you were saying, like they're bite-sized. They're like one session maps, you know, maybe 20 rooms in a big one. A lot of times only like 14, 15. Uh, it, it makes it so much more digestible and more interesting. Um, and so I really do like how they did that. And they kind of broke them up and, oh, this is connected, but it's a different map, different, you know, sub-level or what have you. So, yeah, well, that's, Edwin, that's absolutely amazing. Edwin, that's a question I have for you. Is there a single large map that does that now? That does what? Like where everything's together on one giant map. I mean, there's the side view map, which, which gives, right, there's the side view maps that, right. um, that you can't oh. see because they're invisible. <laughs> um there we go right that, that shows yeah. where every encounter is mm -hmm. but even um and so those are giving you a little bit of the they're giving you the depth uh, yeah. but they're not giving you the, the xy the, the horizontal location okay but they're giving you the connectivity but i mean some of these passages are literally miles long and some of the maps that we have even though the map itself is you know relatively simple and fits on a page they might be 50 foot squares right so yeah, sure you know the, or, or there's the, like that so, one that uh oh, what's it called the one that's the like uh shadow shadow way or shadow highway or i can't remember what it's called but it, it's it's literally like 50 miles wide that section because it's it's cave passages that take you you know basically along the wilderness and up and out you know quite a distance from the dungeon itself um right so yeah I, i'm just thinking when i see pages kind of like this Right. I know that's just oh, a blow. So, so the very it's just yeah, a so blow the very, of one of the previous maps, probably. Right? Yeah. So the end of the book, uh, or I guess it's not the end, but somehow sort of stuck randomly, uh, is basically um, actually I, I don't I don't actually that particular page I don't know what happened. That's a weird one. Um, I got a few in here like that. Maybe I've got just, some. Weird yeah, mystery. I think that's just a blow up. Um, uh, yeah. Here's another one. In the version that that Lou has, I think we were still doing uh, the idea of battle maps. 
Yeah. And so the back of that version has all the maps printed in one inch squares, which you would never like, you wouldn't cut them out of the book, but if you have the PDF, it, the idea was that you could print those out as you were doing each individual dungeon and mm -hmm. tape them together on your table or whatever. Yeah. In, in the Pathfinder version off of drive through, that's what I got. It was bundled. It was the, the Rappanathic 600 something page book. It was uh, pre-generated characters. It was battle maps. It was a monster manual, basically, for just the monsters of the book. And I want to say there was something else, too. Maybe handouts I, I, or something. Yeah. I can't remember, but it was it was a lot of stuff. You so know, we, I, we, we have several different versions of this thing. I, I, I know the uh, it's been kickstarted once or twice, right, Edwin? Twice? Uh, I, I'm going to say twice, 2012 and 2018. So we definitely backed both kickstarters, and then Ben work with you know you guys at frog god and at that point he got um, product. <laughs> he, he got a lot a lot of stuff because that was his job to you know put it all on youtube and do all that stuff with that so i, I know there's a lot of ancillary smaller books that go with this so i, I don't want to speak out of term when it comes to the map stuff and well um, yeah so there make is, it sound there is like it's something map, it's not because i'm just not a map, sure uh for with the 20 one of the things that came with the 2018 version is a map pack which and was, I'm sure we have that. And that's the one yeah, I have which was, in front of me. Yeah. It's just all the maps uh, and both PDF and, and physical. Uh, so it's, you know, whatever it is, 50 double-sided pages of just maps. All I remember is when we got the, when the, when it got delivered, it was ridiculous how much stuff was in that box. I mean, it yeah. was, yeah. it's, it's an art. It's not just, was not just the book. And I have not really reviewed much of that. So I, again, I don't want to speak out of turn on the map thing. It's just, um, are we, we have we moved on to this the, the how we would this whole dungeon now? <laughs> yeah, let's rock it. There? Let's roll. Yeah, yeah right absolutely. So that yeah that that was my one thing when I I know reading through this is to me um, again I, I already kind of said spilled the beans on how the bar brain works. I'm I'm a visual person. I like to have stuff laid out in front of me. It's very um, when you say mega dungeon, I want to be able to see that mega dungeon laid out in front of me. And you really can't do that with this. Um, and I don't know that you, you could do that with this. I'm I think we can, because I think Paladin's this, doing it, and I'm super 3D. excited right, when he finishes Yeah, you couldn't print it. Right, so, <laughs> like, so that, you can do it as me, a that, spinning... That was, yeah, that was, yeah, that was the thing that that I know when I first opened it, when I first got this years and years back, and I, I first wanted to familiarize myself with the first thing I'm going to go to is maps yep. and give myself an idea of a layout of this thing. And I, you know, I kind of quickly learned that it's not what this is. It does not detract from this product. I do not want to go there. I, I hold this thing in incredibly high esteem because <laughs> you can just tell the amount of work oh my that has gone into this product um, over the years um, is amazing. And it, to me, you know, I get it. It's a mega dungeon. It's also one giant uh, pie chart. You can just pull different pieces out for any different thing you want to use so it's got so much versatility to it there's really nothing i can this old dungeon this this thing too i it, just for me so i'll be able to uh or our listeners will be glad to hear this my part on this is going to be very short um <laughs> since i tend to ramble on about these things but uh i just don't see a whole lot that i would necessarily do with it other than maybe just looking at again i didn't open up the other books i just pulled the 2018 i by, by pure happenstance off the shelf. Um, the um, 
and I don't want to knock the layout person because he's a friend of mine too, but I, I just think the way the book works as a book to me is a little clunky. Um, I would, I would uh, argue that the, that a book, it's not the layout, just the, I would argue that a, a physical book may not in fact be the right technology for, for this dungeon. It's hard. It makes it, it marks it hard for a person like me. It does other right. people might just be, Hey, this is perfect. But for someone like me who likes things in an orderly visual sort of way, that's really not this. Again, that doesn't detract from it because there's so much amazing adventure packed in this thing. It's it's crazy, and that's why it's, it's why it's endured. It's, I, I obviously, it's probably still. I, I, again, I don't want to speak out of turn. I've been saying that a lot tonight. It's probably still one of your better sellers. I would say you're, you know, absolutely like people picking it up, it's probably easy to sell this book, the like conventions and the new people oh, yeah. who are just being introduced to Frog God and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, Paladin, how'd you find the organization as you're prepping for this uh, event here? What'd you think? Uh, of the book, of the, specifically the organization? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that there is a lot of information um, in the book, a lot of different levels. And uh, the bigger you get in, 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 any, in anything, you know, whether it's dungeon making or projects or, or anything, uh, the more you got to think about how things are going to be structured and connected together. And that could be a challenge, especially as you get to bigger things. And then you find that certain systems just end up that work might've worked previously, just might not work as well this time around. And so I think that uh, this dungeon, it being so big and for what it is, uh, I, I think that it's pretty, pretty, um, pretty well organized in, in how they had set it out. Um, and kind of like, like um, uh, what he was saying, uh, I, I'm also a visual person. I like to visualize how, the mega dungeon is um, structured out. So whenever I first saw that two-page map of the levels, I got a bit confused <laughs> uh, about how things are connected together. I was like, how does this work? It took me a while to realize that the one page is actually below yes. the other page. The other yes, exactly. That, that, that was the thing, yes. That a, and that what we should have done is made yes. a centerfold. <laughs> yes, and so it took me like a day to figure out like, oh yeah, this connects from the top this way. But uh, but once I figured that out, you know, there was still a little bit of like, well, I still can't conceptualize. Okay, I have the map, but if I close the map, I still just cannot process how things are structured out, or even like with the numbering. Um, and so I, I think that there's a right, there's definitely an explanation in the book for how they decided to use the numbering and the lettering for the various parts of it. Um, but even with the explanation, there's still some confusion on. Um, how exactly the structure because it's a little bit inconsistent in the way of how the lettering is you'll have uh like one b on the left and the next one is like you know like one c and then one a on the other side just uh, maybe it's not exactly like that but uh but the yeah, lettering is a little bit inconsistent little bit too, yeah. so it becomes hard to uh conceptualize like where exactly is the letter if it's not from left to right then where exactly uh, are we talking well, about I think that that represents the growth in some sense right because you know level yes. one and then level one a and then five years later somebody creates another thing at that depth but puts it over here well it can't be one, we're not going to change the original lettering because once it's one right. a it's always one a and so now one b is over here and then oh somebody creates one c and it's over there and so i think it's i think there's a right. chronological it, aspect to this that makes a lot I think of sense this, yeah for sure what contributes also to, to, to some of my like i said confusion in this was was hitting like section 13 and 13 is one thing that 13 a is something that seems totally unrelated to 13 and then 13 b is totally unrelated and 13 c might be related back to 13 a um 
for me, it gets, and again, it's, it's such a massive volume of stuff that I can see the growth, which is kind of cool. Again, I, I, I think as much as I might say that's a fall, it's also kind of a neat thing to see um, how this thing kind of organic or, you know, just grew or um, organically the way it yeah. did. Yeah. Unergonomically, yes. <laughs> but organically, um, <laughs> but just uh, it, it's fascinating to see, but I think also maybe there's some, sometimes it's inside baseball, right. That we, we know what we're doing when we design it. And for some reason, we're not always great at, at um, passing that through to the, the end user. It doesn't always work, you know, the way, you know, we think it's easy to follow. And then someone gets us, says, hey, I don't know what the hell you're talking about here. I'm not saying that this book is it. I, I, I'm just saying there's parts of it in here that I think feel that way. Um, but again, I think Edwin, probably nailed, you know you did a good job of explaining how the book is grown the whole the dungeon is grown and then you have to do what you have to do to make it fit so um i get that and again um if you don't have this thing you should get your hands on one because it's just a it, it's a great book people i mean it is and get it right from frog god or go to a convention because i know you guys almost always carry it at conventions i think i see yep. it almost always at your booth so so um, um oh, wait Lou, you had something here Okay, real quick, real quick. I already mentioned a little bit, almost every level has a little box that, that starts the level kind of giving you the the gist of what's there. And it, it says like, for example, it'll tell you, uh, tell you the level name, how difficult it is. It has like a little rating system. And again, this is from the Pathfinder version. Uh, it tells you the entrances to it, the exits to it, wandering monsters that it might have, um, any special directions about like magic spells or effects or environmental conditions any sort of shielding that keeps certain spells or things from working. And then it gives you a, a breakdown of standard features, like what are the walls made out of, what are the doors made out of, things like that. And I think that's just amazing. I mean, it's, it's really a great idea that, hey, boom, every level has this to get you started. The one thing I would, this old dungeon it with, uh, is I would love to see a, just a quick write-up of how that level and the people on it um, are, are, interacting with the level above below and to the sides okay so for example there's one level one of the, the i think more famous levels is this this uh, well level where there's this big well with all this you know magical um you know uh I don't, like warding on it that's holding back this kind of world-ending monster sort of thing and orcus himself is trying to like nitpick at the magical locks that are keeping the monster sleeping um, and that's all great and cool. Just below that is a Temple of Orcus. And I would love to know, and, and, you know, as a game master, you make it up, obviously, but I'd love to know, you know, in the product's mind, you know, what do those people running that temple know about that monster? Has Orcus communicated anything to them about him? Um, what do they think about it getting loose? Is anybody working against that idea? I mean, I, I don't know. But just, just some connectivity in that box, uh, just one more piece, I think, makes it just... Mm, perfect you know uh you know as it as having ran mega dungeons before and maybe I'm, i might be um uh so whenever we did the mad mage a lot of the story stuff and a lot of the interactions that happened between factions were usually player-led so there might be a certain interaction that happens in one area and so because of that interaction xyz happens down the line in another area and so it's it's really hard to factor out or think of every single possible interaction, especially when you have so many cards and so many 
different people. And so to try to think of like all 50 connections you could have to one particular area, I can imagine that to be a very daunting task. But I guess yeah. I'm just saying it in the, not, not in the sense of what the characters might do as more of the sense of these are inhabitants that have been here for, you know, 50 years. Those guys have been there for the last 20. Oh, do they know of each other in, in, you know, is there anything going on between them? Right. Just at, at the time when the characters arrive, yeah. what's the situation a little bit? Mm-hmm. No, I could definitely see that that would be a fun. Uh, I mean, I like that kind of stuff too. I like as a GM, I like to have just that little hint of these guys hate those guys. These guys have been selling their treasure to those guys. These mm-hmm. guys have been robbing uh, the eggs from these, other, whatever, whatever it is. Right. You know, I'm not, um, one of the things I was going to ask you, Paladin, since you're sort of in the thick of this, is uh, yeah. what have you changed about the dungeon? Either big picture, I know you've changed some of the home base stuff in order to make it work for your for the the way the player characters. Is there anything down in the depths also that you're modifying? Different connectivity, different ways of I don't know. Uh, well, itself? it's kind of a hard question to answer uh, because I'm preparing this module for. 119 people right right and so uh and so i have to be careful about whatever i do change and what i add and take away um because those are all things that i'm gonna have to communicate across so many people and so the more changes you have from the text uh the more likely you'll have um you know that that information is going to get lost or missed or that someone is is not going to remember it later down the line uh, so I left I left the text for the most part alone. I didn't change anything uh, for anything down in the depths. We added a lot of the rules to add on top. Um, but I know that as we go through the dungeon, um, that there is going to be uh, changes or calls that are made by dungeon masters that we're all going to keep track of along with each other and talk about, communicate on our own. Um, and so I'm expecting that that's probably going to quickly change, even like within the first couple of days. As they're going through the wilderness of the first couple of levels, uh, seeing how their actions and influence uh, go through. Um, but if I was to run this for a for a normal game of four or five once weekly, um, I probably um, I probably would still keep it where it's at. I really like the structure of it. Um, I probably would add a little bit more of that interconnectivity between each other across floors. But not, but not too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you know, as as it as the game is, it's it seems pretty solid uh, for a module. I think that, um, of course, transitioning from third edition to fifth edition um, is hard because those are very different systems, <laughs> and you can definitely see where there are the um, like you can see what has been changed uh, to fit in five E um, from three, and so uh, I think maybe like rounding out those edges a little bit, at least from a dungeon master side. Um, is definitely, you know, it's, I, I would say it's a little bit more on the minor side, because for the most part, it's, it's been well ported into 5e, which I appreciate a lot. Yeah, and uh, I, I, mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I know when I read it, when I read my version, I read, I believe I read the sword, there's a swords and wizardry version of this, right? Yep. That's the one I read. So because yeah. I got the 5e right version here. here. And I, I think one of the things that popped in my head as we we're having this conversation was, um, you know, there's one thing to read it, read it as, as a game master and figure out how I'm going to do things. I think from the player's side of this, I think it's, um, I, I'm going to go back to that organizational part for me. I think you really got to do your work as a GM to set this up for your players to be successful and kind of, I hate to say go where you want them to go because there's way too much, I think, variety here where 
a low level party can walk into something that they should yeah. shouldn't be anywhere near. And I, um, again, I, there's there, there's going to be some homework of this. Okay, when you when you're gonna when you want to play this, you're definitely going to be telephoning the players that hey, you know things are getting yeah. pretty risky in this right. level. These are really yeah. You're you're going to have to do a little bit of that or or just block it out. They can't go there, or whatever, and and set up for later. But I think as 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 a as a dungeon master, there's definitely some work you have to do to run this thing. You just, you're not, don't think you're going to buy this like a, you know, like a Wizards of the Coast book and just skim through it and just start running it. You, you're not going to do that with this product. Uh, now, I will say what you absolutely can do is just in how it works really well is if you just want to have play a small dungeon one night and just say, hey, you guys come across this thing you can piecemeal the hell out of this thing because yeah. there's so yeah. many sections to it. Yeah, that this, this is a our, fun book. Of yes, book of, it's a fun house dungeon, right? It's so yeah. it's so very different. Different sections, whatever how we want to call them, are so different than any other than other sections. Um, you know, like I said, you can go from a, a little barracks, you can go to, then to a little beetle, uh, a bunch of caverns with beetles in it goblin village that's kind of fun there's just the all kinds of village. different things yeah there's and plus the outdoor stuff right let's yeah let's not, i just found the uh i don't want to minimize cool. that the the outdoor um wilderness part of this is also significant and it's got some stuff so this is a great product to do that also i just found the uh the great cavern level 10a there and i had forgotten this is a map with 300 foot squares right it's a full page, right. it's a full page map 300 foot squares I'm like okay let's get that into boundary yeah <laughs> the map didn't load no it did it's it did just, there's nothing in that square you gotta keep moving. Right. uh I, I will say this and again i'm only halfway in but so far every level that i've read uh it, there's no level that's just like stagnant every level has something memorable in it every level has something going for it that i was like oh yeah that'd be fun to you know like Bill said, it's every level can be pulled, and you got a fun, engaging dungeon with multiple different challenges, not just you know a slugfest with the monsters. Uh, every level, and, and that's yeah. just wow. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to think because I feel like, I mean, yeah, I think like it's an awesomeness of what it is, and. Certainly people, you know, have been running it as their home game for years and some people, and I think this is a, uh, I feel like a way to sort of help it in terms of making it a sustainable is making sure that it's sort of a, I mean, unless, unless your party really is a, a dungeon crawl party, which obviously they exist. And I've been doing that in Stonehill. We're just been going in and going and going. And it's been awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, is having, um, you know, it could be a place that it could be sort of the reoccurring villain in the sense that, you know, you come here, you do something for some reason, and then, you know, eight or 10 or 12 sessions later, for whatever reason, you've got to come back mm -hmm. to. So I feel like putting this into a bigger world and even the wilderness, even just, you know, going around the wilderness, but occasionally for whatever reason. So making up, I think what I would want to do if I were running this as a home game is make up enough story stuff that showed up every once in a while, as opposed to doing this every week for, you know, three years or whatever <laughs> it would be, you know, it's like every few months, they're going to, we're going to spend three or four sessions going back into Rappanathic to get 
something, kill someone, do something, change a message, you know, communicate something, whatever, whatever it is. Well, it, it almost works like its own campaign setting, right? That's right. It right. really does. Right, right. And, you know, and that's, um, it's definitely very important to have something in there in place to kind of break up it being a dungeon crawl. I, the number one reason I hear that a lot of people don't finish Dungeon of the Mad Mage um, is that whenever I look through the forums and we were looking at what are the problems with the Mad Mage and trying to fix that, because I'm trying to research for my own book, um, is that a lot of people stop because it's just it just gets too old. You're just going you're going through a dungeon. It's just constant dungeon content, constant fighting. And so ensuring that there is something in place that breaks up the tediousness of like, OK, is this another encounter? Um, I mean, it's it's really essential because otherwise people will get burned out and then stop playing about halfway through. Um, and so adding a lot of the story elements or even having a city to go back to or like the wilderness uh, is a great is a great example to point out is that you have something that can kind of break up rap the Rappanathic dungeon halls at least a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And so having that capability to roam around and go to these other areas is is great. And I and I think that without it, it would it would definitely suffer. Um, immensely, uh, as people probably would would not finish the adventure that far because they would not have something that they could venture away from uh, to have some sort of break in the sequence of a dungeon crawl. Well, it, it just it makes this unique, and it really is unique for a for a mega dungeon. And we've we've got a lot out there to choose from, but this one's just so different, I think, and unique on mm -hmm. its own in a good way. Um, um, that it's it's just a really really cool product, you know. I mean, there's mega dungeons, and then there's there's this, and this this is just uh, uh, this stands on its own for sure, for sure. Definitely, it's definitely a one of a kind. I yeah. I would say it's um, and I I say this with bias as well. I think it's probably the best mega dungeon I've read so far. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really really good. It, it is really it is really good, and I'm a fan of the mega dungeon. I I I love them as a concept. So uh, this is just a. Like I said, this one just stands on its own. It really does. It, it has a legacy and it deserves it. One, yeah. one thing I was just thinking about is the fact that this has so many entrances that are so far apart is that you could actually have a party go on various quests and only after they go in somewhere, eventually, maybe somehow they realize, God damn it, we're back in Rappanathic again. <laughs> in other words, like because like, right, the entrances have nothing to do with each other. And and the, so that actually I think would be even more fun is that they don't know they're going back into the same well, dungeon complex. So that was kind of my thought. If I was if I were to run this right, if I were if I were to say, hey, I get five or six guys going to say, hey, we're going to play a campaign for the next couple of years. I it, and I was going to use it. I, I would use this almost exclusively, and I would, like I said, as a campaign setting, I would put this thing all over my continent. So you're right. So they could be off doing a couple of adventures. They think of nothing to do with this, and then they go down into some cave, and the next thing you know, you're right. They're back in rapid after that's how expansive under my continent this thing would be. But I somehow I want them to have the ability to figure out that they're in. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, right. There's some, for there's sure. some <laughs> something. I don't know what it yes. is. There's either an you, NPC or the smell of the air. Or, no, you want that. You want that player reaction, right? You just yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, that's wrapping ethic, ethic, ethic. Um, <laughs> We've got one more segment. I know it's getting late. I know uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you're probably warm and sweaty from your headphones having listened uh, to us for so long, but uh, we cannot let the night fade without this one last section. Dun, dun, dun. We've got geek credit. 
Do you have any geek credit? Great. All right, Paladin has graciously uh, agreed to sit on the hot seat tonight and take some questions. He gave us a couple different categories to go with. Uh, we're gonna. Oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> lead in with the question we'll, we'll kind of ping pong back and forth between us uh we had all sorts of stuff on this list from uh different animes to fountain pens to uh neuroscience and all sorts of stuff in between all right so i'm going to uh start with the uh the fountain pen question uh so of the four uh fountain pen companies that i will name one of them was founded in the 20th century and the other three were founded in the 19th century. Which one was founded in the 20th century? So A, Waterman, B, Parker, C, Schaefer, D, Cross. Uh, gosh. Waterman, Waterman okay. sounds, sounds familiar, but... You know I what we got to do before you answer? Before you answer, we oh, that's right. we got we to draw a first part. We Sorry, have yeah, three, yeah. Uh, give him time to think, but not to three, Google. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry. All right. We had three at home players tonight. Um, uh, who's got a, a D3? Who plays? I got, I got one here ready. <laughs> All right. Give it a roll. All right. So that is a two. A two. So that oh, would be uh, John Williams. John so Williams. If, yep. If Paladin can get uh, three out of the five questions right, uh, John Williams will get something. Uh, let's see. Anybody? I think it was something? my turn. Is it your turn? All right. What are you giving yep, away? Uh, some, uh, I am. I am giving away a copy of Rancid Canyons of the Floating Death Sheep. Oh God! Awesome. <laughs> uh, this is a DCC version. Uh, awesome adventure here uh, from right. a Monkey Blood. Who? Who? Nice. Who's? Who's the lucky victim of Edwin? John uh, this Williams. is uh, John, uh, John Williams. Yeah. Sorry, John. <laughs> this is an awesome adventure. Well, this actually, this is one I've run several times. Super fun. What? Well, hey, rancid blood of the rancid canyons of the floating death sheep. <laughs> rancid canyons of the floating death sheep. Wow, that's a sentence right there for sure. <laughs> I love it. Uh, sorry, but to go back to the question, can you repeat? I will absolutely. So four, four, four pen companies, Waterman. Parker, Schaefer, and Cross. One of them, uh, three of those are 19th century founded. One of them was founded in the 20th century. So which one's the youngest? Uh, if you don't know that, you can give me which one's the oldest. I'll take that too. Well, I know Waterman is from France. They're definitely from the 1800s. Um, Schaefer, I, I believe, is on the newer side. Cross, and what was the last one? Parker. Parker? Oh. Um, I think I'm gonna have to go with Schaefer because they make a lot of modern day cartridges. Is it that one? Nailed it in one. <laughs> Excellent. Wow. He's one for, one for one so far. Rock on. <laughs> if, if you can get an Edwin question right, you are rolling. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm gonna take the second question on you. Um, so you mentioned an interest in Minecraft. Um, yes. What is the world or dimension that you start off in? in minecraft called what do they call like the base world that you know when you hit go that's where you're at uh that's the uh overworld uh, i didn't even have to give you any choices uh, that's too easy all right do you have a question i, I do have one up was was role-playing games in general one of your categories yep. yes okay so we're gonna we're gonna go back back to 
uh, classic Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm going to go old okay. school on you here. So TSR put out a number of basic D&D systems. Um, so um, most of them came in boxed uh, format where the rule books were in boxes. But um, not all. So my question is, how many of those real separate rule books? And there's several. You've got the home set, the Mulvey cook set from back in the day, the what's called the Beckme Menser set, which was you know the easily cover and the black box and rule cyclopedia and that kind of thing. So most of those, again, almost all of those came out in uh, box format. So, but uh, the question is how many did not and i'm going to give you multiple choice and it's 50 50 either one it was one or two did not come out exclusively as a box set only as this, a is, from, this is from uh from first edition you said we're talking about this is, or, or we're talking about ad and d prior to ad and d concurrently with ad and d so it's uh um I don't think I have any of the box sets here in front of me. Yeah, I'm not Maroon but, has any, but, but yeah, so like the basic rule sets, the ones prior to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, um, you, the rules being based prior to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Like he was saying, some of these sets did get published. They came out, at, some of them came out, at, some of yeah. them came out actually all the way through uh, second edition, actually. So how many so. rule sets were available in book format? Is that kind of a different way? For yeah, you? only in book format did not or come out of the box set. set. And the answer is either, either one, one or set two. or two sets. Ooh, oh man. I, I know that whenever they first start out, yeah, they were doing a ton of box sets, but there was one, I don't remember which box set it was in particular, which, which book it was that didn't have a box with it. Um, but I want to say it, it was just one because a lot of you them are correct. Were it boxes. was the rule cyclopedia. Uh, yes, there was only one. Awesome. The rest of them all, some of the other ones you could buy separately, the rule separately, but they did all come out with box sets except one set. The second right, to the so last. John Williams That's is getting three. a copy of Branson Canyon of the Floating Death Sheet, but we're going to go with two more questions here. Yeah. Uh, just for fun. <laughs> yeah, you got to go with Edwin's next question because that, Ooh, uh, Okay. <laughs> all right. So um, if we uh, we took our the neurons out of the brain and lined them all up, would the line be close? The, the length of the line, would it be closest to 500 miles? 5,000 miles, 50,000 miles, 500,000 miles. So take it, the neurons in the brain, line them up end to end to end to end to end, and closest order of magnitude. I remember it being three times the perimeter of the Earth. Uh, so nice. what, sorry, the, Earth's, so what is that? Circumference um, is 25,000. Circumference, miles. yes. Ish. So it, it'll be closer to, I, I believe, like 250,000. Uh, there's an option for that. Wow. Close. I think I'll give it to you. 250,000 is closer to 50,000 than it is to 500,000. And 50,000 is not a great answer because uh, it's a tough one to approximate, but you are absolutely it right. It depends on whose brain, right? <laughs> it does. So this, so this adult, adult male was uh, where we're going with that. But uh, so uh, I don't think we mentioned that Paladin was in neuroscience before uh, getting into the slightly more intellectually rigorous uh, field right. of RPGs. <laughs> yeah, I, I taught I taught in the university for a little bit. I also taught in the hospital, worked in the ICU. I was on a national board. Um, I got certifications and I 
dropped all that when I started doing D&D professionally. So I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, lot of schooling and work just no to be like, no, I quit. listening to this podcast. <laughs> no more d for you, kid. That's right. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I'm going to with another neuroscience question. Uh, or, or I'll give you a choice. You want that or you want another Minecraft question? You know, they're both, they're both topics I love. So either one, you can ask All both right. if you want. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do this one as the official one and then we'll, we'll throw the other one out just to see. Okay. So the official one is a neuroscience question. Um, most neuroscientists suggest that the short-term memory only lasts for, so how long does short-term memory last? Does it last? I'm for, sorry. What was the question again? How long do most... <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> all right so uh your choices are the short-term memory last for 30 seconds about 2.5 seconds three minutes or 45 minutes so uh, that's it's 30 seconds 30 or, seconds or less yes it's, it's very fast a lot of people think it might be from one day to another but then you're kind of getting into like midterm memory in that case and I, sorry i can keep going on i'll just yeah, stop I, there i wish mine <laughs> lasted 30 seconds all right well i'm because you guys all got the answer i'm gonna go bring it back to gaming because that's what we're okay. gonna talk about so well, no i'm kidding serious. i'm kidding just, for- just yeah forget me so uh my last question this is one i went back and forth on so um between first second third 3.5 fourth and fifth okay. one of those sets did not have a starter set uh, 3.5 i believe no it did oh it did dang okay got that one wrong it's actually first edition did not hmm. oh really right. yeah. first edition did not have a starter set did. that makes a lot of sense yeah the rest all had a monster manual <laughs> even even <laughs> even, <laughs> even even 2e which I, if yeah, you have it that. what uh was it a box set which one for for 2e i'm trying to remember what its starter set was uh, oh, camera's moving. Camera's Uh-oh. moving. Uh oh. I don't think it's see it real well. Okay, it's uh, <laughs> the cover with the uh, red dragon with his wings spread out, kind of. Okay, that is yellow. It's the best. Yeah, it's a yellow. But I don't get it out. Of, I've got one in my room back here. But I'm not digging it out. It's yellow. That's about the best yellow. use of technology it's, it's I've ever seen. Boxes. <laughs> I feel like you just took a laptop screen camera and pointed at your other monitor so that we could share your screen. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> awesome. oh, folks. So, so Paladin, I, I know you were saying that just about anyone could come and run on your game and so forth and you'd get them through the technology. <laughs> Bill's not one of those people. No, not at all. <laughs> no, I don't have a clue. That's as good as it's going to get. You're lucky I didn't take a picture of my phone and probably do, probably do it that way. Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's a uh, it's actually a pretty cool set. It's it's like you know those the oversized uh, basic black sets. Uh-huh. Lou, you'll remember those, yeah, right? No, yeah, it's, it's in the same box as that. Okay. Except those all yellow. They're they're really that? hard to come by. So I, guess, I got yeah. my little holy grail thing in for all you people. Go hunt one of those <laughs> down. They're really hard to find. <laughs> oh man. Oh the, uh, the the Minecraft question was about the super secret color of oxyadol that you can get. Purple. It's purple. Uh, well, the I, the research said blue. I don't know. Blue. Maybe it's I was blue. close. One yeah. of those cool colors. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, we got to end it there. Uh, it has been a pleasure to have you on here, Paladin. Thank you for stopping by and sharing this uh, this extreme dungeon mastering that you guys are about to do with us. Uh, where can folks go to? I, I mean, I'll put this in the show notes and on our webpage, but but just for the listening audience only, where can they go to sign up or become a part of this or watch it? 
Right. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for, for sitting down and talking about this awesome adventure. It's going to be very big. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for your time and for all the questions and, and the really great conversation, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Thank you uh, very much. Um, as far as like where to go to uh, either join or watch, uh, we actually have a website. It's actually up now. None of the buttons work if you go to it. But uh, if you go to paladinsarchives.com, uh, there's going to be buttons you can go to that'll take you to the Twitch page or to the signups. Uh, there's also going to be um, uh, buttons you can press in order to find out more information. If you wanted to have more of the, the meat and potatoes of what exactly is going to happen, that's, that's something you can go through there. Um, you can search up Paladins Archives on Twitch. Uh, which is where we're going to be doing uh, the live stream itself. Um, and there's also, you can also join my Discord. You can talk to me directly through my Discord. Uh, again, you can join that through either the website, paladinsarchives.com, or, or through my Twitch. I also have a Twitter, just the same, Paladins Archives. Um, and so I'm, I'm very easy to connect with, very easy to find. If you come and add me on Discord and you just want to have a chat on a private voice call, sure. I'm here. Why not? I'm very easy to talk with, very easy to hang out with. So, you know, if you want to come or if you have any questions, you can message me directly or just come to the Discord and um, come and chat. And yeah, and hopefully I get to see and, and play with some of y'all very soon. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, hey, Lou, I got a question before we dip out of here. Are we going to be on again before Texas? Ooh, well, I guess I'm going to ask that question to you guys. Are we going to be on again before Texas? <laughs> I, I, I'm, May. I've got I, time in May, but let's do it. I could. I have a reason for asking this. Okay. Um, so oh, are you, all you, you already know this, but so we, we at Pacer got approached by Chris Holmes, who's the son of uh, John Eric Holmes, who created the first D&D uh, &D box set, right? So we got approached. He found three um, original hand-drawn pencil maps from his dad uh, that come together to form a larger dungeon. And he approached us and asked us if we wanted to um, uh, create it and make an actual adventure module out of it. Wow. And we jumped at it. It, it, it. For me, it was a no-brainer. It was the first adventure I ever played in D&D 40-some &D years ago. It was the first. That's how I bought D&D &D was with that box set. So um, so we jumped and at it. We have come that. to find out there's even some connectivity between this and uh, Maze of Peril, too. It's, uh, it's yes. The, this dungeon is the, part of it is the Maze of Peril dungeon. So in the book, it's direct, it's all in there. So um, I, I want to keep it super quick. And I don't make a big sales switch, but we're not kickstarting this project. We're going to sell it as a, as, a, as a regular old school. We're producing a number of books. We're probably looking only producing a couple of hundred of these things. So we're going to sell them at Texas on our website right around the first week of June. So um, if you're in, if any of you listeners are interested in that kind of old school product, um, like our Facebook page or sign up for our email list at Paysetter Games because you're not going to get a lot of opportunities to pick this thing up. And it, it is a, it's an amazing piece of history and it's really cool for us to be able to touch something um, that's, you know, a legacy that part matters, of, yeah. of D and D and, and the fact that John Holmes does not have an actual D and D module. There, I mean, it doesn't exist. So this will be the only one um, we're really excited about. It. I just want to get it out to our listeners that um, we're not kickstarting it. So it won't be this big, you know, to do, to try and get your hands on it. It's, it's going to be quick and fast. So there it is. And if we do talk again next month, I'll, I'll go into more detail on it because it, it was a, sure, yeah. a absolutely fascinating project. Awesome. I'm excited for it. All right. Well, lots to go looking into folks. Uh, but for now, this is the end. Happy gaming. Good game, Bye, everyone. Thank you so much.
You have been listening to This Whole Dungeon, a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that, and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming! <laughs>